to hold and give and do it at the right time. And the right time is now to do a podcast about the football's Jack Atkins, a podcast that sounds like a podcast because your microphone setup has been updated. The background gets fuller and fuller every day, which will help with the acoustics. It's a wonderful time to be alive. I like the fact that it's gone from you saying that I looked like I was in a crackdown to me being in this, you know, haven of footballing excellence, it seems. You say footballing excellence. Is that painting behind you footballing related or is it something random and delicious? Uh, no, it was, it was a painting that my mate did that um, is only allowed to be in my office because my girlfriend really doesn't like it. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm far away there. from it. I'm far away not looking at it in HD. It looks like Wurzel Gummidge melted from here. Is that accurate? It is pretty much yeah it is some kind of melty chap um and yeah she's not keen on it but i love it so it's it's there it does scream you to be fair how are you doing this week it's been two weeks since we recorded because obviously the day job that we do involving the world of professional wrestling just in case you're not aware there was one big event at wembley which we were both out in different capacities last weekend and then this past weekend just a couple of days ago there was two more big events so there was no time for football time so how are you doing yeah uh, still tired, still tired from Wembley. Um, I saw you and Holden Gibbs, Kayla, uh, briefly. <laughs> you you were having pints. I was fueled on pad thai and caffeine, and I think I rubbed my head on your arm and then ran off into the into the evening sun. Yeah, it was like a little uh, goblin going away into the night sky. It was a lovely a lovely thing. I should say, by the way, the amount of people who came up and said, "Ross, big fan of the Holden Gibbs stuff. Keep it up." Even Kayla was getting compliments as well. I know you got a couple as well. A couple of Clive F. References were made, which I can't believe. So thank you very much if you did approach us on those wrestling events, just saying nice things. It's always nice to hear. Yeah, especially because uh, the online wrestling community at times can be a bit a bit spicy. But in real life, you know, it was just wall-to-wall sweethearts at Wembley. Oh, yeah. That's what I like, though, wall-to-wall yeah. sweethearts. A room full of yeah. Gary Linekers. Well, I was going to say, <laughs> talking of bringing this back slightly football-related um, as part of our official capacity, I was in the Wembley press box for the uh, for the all-in, and it was uh, it was lovely. Take me through, like, how do you get into the press box? What's the desks like? What's the little room like where the tea, I imagine, served? Uh, my only experience of going to a proper top-level press box is St. James's Park. I had a year reporting on Newcastle, the 15-16 hmm. season in the press box, every every game home and away, and it was amazing to see. So what's it like at Wembley? Because I imagine it's a thing to behold. Yeah, it was quite nice. Um, myself and Luke Osborne of Cultaholic, we were, had to go through a separate door, metal detectors, all this and that, special wristbands, and someone was like, if you'd like to follow me into the lift, I was like, oh, this is very nice. Upstairs, straight into just a, a regular conference room, and then the, the line... <laughs> This is where lunch will be served. And I was like, here we go. You got free um, lunch. I had a I had I had smoked salmon, Ross. I had No, a, you um, didn't. You didn't go down to Wembley. A man from the Pe- People's Republic of Liverpool in Wembley Stadium eating smoked salmon. You've lost your roots. If, <laughs> if it wasn't nailed down, I was having it. There was a full fridge that was open. You could just help yourself. I was on the water because I thought if I have too much sugary stuff, I'll end up collapsing um yeah i had salmon it was nice there was like one initial bank of journalists and media people then there was a space for uh disabled access and then another bank we were on the second bank little desks swivel chairs little screens uh my name on a little bit of paper it was all very nice um but one of my mates because he's friends with someone high up in live nation was in the royal box oh. um, so <laughs> and, and they got they got fully catered i think with a with a chef or some 
so I'm told. But um, the actual press box itself, very nice. That's unreal. That getting smoked salmon and free drinks. I just got a cup of tea by an old lady at St James's Park. That's all I'm used to. Was there any notable That's... football like media people there on the wrestling events? Because I go back to being at the Etihad Stadium in that year I had reporting on Newcastle. I had a lovely conversation with Guy Mowbray. What a guy. Mm. What a lovely man. Held the door open for him. And he was like, thank you very much there. I, I can't do a Guy Mowbray impression. <laughs> <laughs> but he was a very nice man all the same. Was there any notable football people there? Um, of course, there was former Crystal Palace midfielder Dave Melter was there. And... Uh... <laughs> No, it was just the it was just the wrestling people. Fair enough. That sounds like a dream, though. What was the TV was nice. feed hooked up to? Like the pay per view feed. It was it was a second out, which was a bit of a pain in the ass. But you know, to, to see the minutiae, it was good. Hey, you can't complain, can you? You can't yeah. complain. Now, obviously, we start off the Hollinger Football Podcast with Clive F's. On this day, he peace freely. What happened on this day in football history? As we attempt to make a horrible little rhyme there. It's Wednesday, the 6th of September, 2023. What happened on this day in football history? Well, Ross, in, uh, <laughs> in 1913, Woolwich Arsenal played their first ever game at Highbury and beat Leicester Fossey. 2-1 in the old second division with 20,000 uh, in the stadium watching. Only 20,000? Yeah. That seems low for that period of time because they would just shovel everybody in, wouldn't they? There was no tickets, no seats, no nothing. Just if you had a horse, bring the horse in with you. Any room that was there, it was taken. Well, if you think about it, though, it, we're probably thinking of Highbury, how it was before they switched over to the Emirates of all the big tiers. It probably was just literally ground and maybe our bench so twenty thousand for then like you said with no organization or order it's still pretty good that's one of my favorite things about the old st james's park like in the 20s and earlier is the fact that three quarters at least two sides of the ground were just like mud like banks and that people just had to stand on the mud banks and apparently it was just always just descending to people falling arse over tit down these mud banks and ended up on the pitch nearly <laughs> i mean it's it's the beautiful game isn't it ross it I'm is the sure. beautiful game what else happened on this day well, it's a um, it's an iconic day for uh, the England men's national team, September the 6th, because in 1989, it was the World Cup 90 qualifiers, and it was England versus Sweden. It ended up nil-nil, but is remembered for Terry Butcher, obviously. And whenever anyone thinks of Terry Butcher, they think of him pissing blood everywhere, and that was on this day in 1989. Wow. I don't know what it was, but growing up, I always thought that was from a World Cup. You just assume it's from a World Cup because of how iconic it is. But just to hear that it's from a qualifier, that has shocked me this morning. Shocked me. Oof. Yeah, I think it was a, a collision uh, initially opened up a little cut on his head. They cleaned it. They put a bandage on it. And obviously, you know, being a Rangers centre-back, he was like, no, if a ball comes near me, I'm nutting it. And just kept headering it and headering it until, yeah, he looked like a... He looked like he'd been a wrestling death match. That's all I'm going to say. But um, Terry Butcher, a little before my time, so definitely before your time. But that image of him just with the claret and the three lions, it's it's iconic. Yeah, just obviously picking things up from his England career, that being the obvious standout, I guess. But also mm. I watched a couple of documentaries about Sir Bobby Robson. Obviously his time at Ipswich, Terry Butcher was one of his lieutenants in that great Ipswich team that did things in the, I guess it would be the Europa League uh, in modern days speak. Um, so yeah, it just seems like, that's the thing that's missing from today's game, isn't it? When someone gets a, like, a cut finger, they have to change their mm. shirt now. We need to bring back the days of claret being everywhere and the shirt being worn that you you know you got injured in. It's missing from the game. It makes it wonderful to watch. Yeah, because was it was it Paul Ince ninety? I want to say ninety eight, ninety nine. Did something similar. Yeah, I think that was it. Italy Absolutely. away again, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 
I thought you were going to say something I else then, but you take the swig of water. <laughs> I was taking a swig of water because I had a burp stuck in my throat just thinking of Paulins uh, <laughs> covered in blood. But another iconic thing happened during uh, an England match on September 6th, um, 1995 now. So another England nil-nil draw against Colombia in a friendly at Wembley. Here we go. Uh, friend, friendlier at Wembley. Friendly <laughs> at Wembley. Not much happened. Who's there in goal? Oh, it's Rennie Higita. And he went, you know what? I'd be funny. See this ball coming in from Jamie Redknapp. <laughs> Scorpion <laughs> kick. So just six years after Terry Butcher and he was, you know, he was upstaged by Rennie Higita and his amazing hair. Another thing missing from today's game, the eccentric goalkeeper. Who is the most oh, yeah. eccentric goalkeeper these days? Is In the Premier League, I guess we should narrow this down to. Is it Onana? He seems quite eccentric these days. I'd say uh, Martinez from uh, Villa. Yeah, he's is he eccentric or a bit of a poo house without wanting to swear on the football podcast today? Yeah, I just think he's a bit of a... He's just... Yeah, he, he's a wind-up merchant. Let's use that, time, that term. Um, his antics in the World Cup final... Some of it was funny. Some of it made me go an old man, just be like, you need to treat the occasion more like the occasion <laughs> it is. But What do you mean? You had, you had an up... issue with him shagging the little uh, golden glove he got? I, I did think that was kind of funny because I was just <laughs> like, you know what? If I was eight, you know, not a fully grown man, but if I was eight years old and got given the golden glove, I'd be putting it on my crotch and going, wee, as well. But... <laughs> I imagine he's the sort of player, just as any Aston Villa fans watching, I imagine he's the sort of player that when he plays for you, he's like one of the, the cult heroes, one of the favourites in the squad. But when he doesn't play for you, you're just a bit like, oh, he's a, he's a poo house, that boy. Like us with Suarez, obviously, beforehand, we're like, oh, he, he's a bad man, him. Then he came to Liverpool and he's like, yeah, he's a bad man, but we're going to kind of gloss over it because he's really good. And then he left and we're like, oh, he's a bad man, him. <laughs> That's how it goes in football. But anyway, speaking of the Premier League there in... Pa- well, is that it for on this day? IP Freely, I should say? Yes, it is, yes. Oh, thank God for that. Just keep thought, it to three. Just thought, three. thought I came too soon. What a day that is. Rene Higuita doing that. When's the last example of that sort of thing happening in a football match? Like a goalkeeper doing something random that you shouldn't be doing. I can't even think. Ooh. The game's too scrutinised now, isn't it? You can't be as free as that these days, can you? When we first got Allison, because obviously Allison's good on the ball, one of his first appearances, you know, he tried taking on a defender and, you know, got showing off. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I don't know, because like you're saying, the kind of days of the, the full Maverick keeper, when you think of the 90s and you had uh, Buffon, you had Schilliver absolutely whacking in free kicks and penalties. Uh, like his life depended on it. You don't really get as many now, do you? You get just boring men who are very good at their job. Yeah, which I guess is showing when a man shags a golden glove, how outrageous people seem to think it is. If that was the 90s, <laughs> you'd be thinking, oh, fair enough, it's a normal day at the office for a goalkeeper. Yeah, Barthez would definitely do that. <laughs> he would never even touch the golden glove. He was crap. Anyway, <laughs> Premier League game week four, the big headlines we have to start at Turf Moor. Burnley two, Spurs five, an unreal finish from Christian Romero into the top bins, gives Spurs the lead in the first first half stoppage time. What a hit that was in off the beans. Mm. It was delightful. You love to see it. Yeah, I've got my notes up on my phone. It was, it was just, it was, again, We've had a busy two weeks. I watched match of the day for most of my highlights this weekend. And the way um, they showed it, it looked like Spurs were just operating on a different level. I know they've got, um, was it 10 points from their opening? Something like that. During the opening day and got three wins since. Yeah. So, like you said, top bins. It's what you like to see. Yeah. Then we have, I think more, it was less. This is going to sound weird. Less about Spurs being fantastic and more about Burnley 
playing to Spurs' strengths because it was just, it was as clear as day when James Madison, James Madison, remember, you know, he's sort of renowned for, for having a good little swaz on him when he kicks the football. He's given <laughs> about half an hour on the edge of the D to pick his spot and swaz it into the far corner there. Trafford and the goal had no chance whatsoever, but it's just how open Burnley were for the entirety of the game. It feels like Vincent Company is trying to do, as all young managers have to do, you have to say this, you can't be a Sean Dyche or a big Sam Allardyce these days and being where like Vincent Company is in terms of his management career. You have to play the right brand of football, don't you? But it feels like he's trying to play this right brand of football and he just doesn't have the players to play at the Premier League level. Yeah, especially as they, they walked the championship last season. Um, like you said, the defensive frailties, like you said, especially considering the calibre of player Vincent Company was, you'd expect him to be a bit more tight-knit at the back. They're doing worse than I thought they would, but yeah. I did see glimpses in this. Like you said, they ended up getting two goals. They, they didn't wilt fully under the pressure. They were open, they were a bit all over the place, but they still went for it. If they can just tighten up, I think, I still think they'll be okay. It's got all the hallmarks of a big Sam taking over in February, this the start of the campaign from Burnley. Being so open, Ooh. so many goals conceded, trying to play the right brand of football, you know, mm. that you know gets the butts in the seats and gets the fans sort of like entertained from the week to week. But it just feels like the, the American owners will come in and say, well, we're conceding too many of those soccer goals. We need a big Sam Allardyce in the goal. That's a good American accent there. But you know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do. Um, but going back to Spurs, though, Oh, sorry, if you want to finish your recap of the match before I jump in with my opinions. Well, I guess the other thing just to say is, Son, hat-trick, three yeah. clinical finishes, a wonderful Peter Dinklage for the first one, and then just two clinical finishes. There's a wonderful ball from uh, Pedro Porro, who seems to be really mm. coming into his own, sort of from right back, doing a, a kind of Trent, but not really sort of coming into midfield and playing these balls around the back. Again, that was more Burnley being open, allowing Spurs to play those balls sort of in behind for Son to run onto. But yeah, Son, he's picking up where Kane just sort of left a big Harry Kane-shaped hole. It, it's the old cliche, isn't it, about the, the captain's armband. It either makes players wilt or it takes them up to a next level. And I think Son finally being acknowledged as the main man getting that responsibility and without I'm not going to say the burden of Harry Kane but just being allowed to play his game possibly a bit more freely yeah. Um, he's been amazing he's always been a great player but he's he's started the season like an absolute rocket he has a rocket a rocket <laughs> that's what people in Liverpool call a, an attractive lady don't they or is that Essex I get mixed up I want to say Essex yeah oh she's a yeah. rocket here I live with an Essex person, an Essex person, a man from Essex at uni, and that would be his catchphrase. I think the one yeah. from Liverpool, and I'm sorry if this is like inappropriate, fluff. Ooh, I don't really know that one. She's fluff her, he's fluff him. Now we just used to go fit. <laughs> <laughs> Take fit all the her. confusion out of it. Uh, but is fit there something? Him. To... What? Fit him, fit her. You know, everyone's just fit. <laughs> Is there something to be said about Harry Kane going and just the sort of the, the the importance of everyone in that front line, the sort of the responsibility being spread? Because Solomon had a good game by the looks of things. Richarlison's actually scored a goal since the last time we did a podcast, I think. Uh, so everything's yeah. coming up Spurs at the minute. Yeah, well, as you know, I've not always been the biggest fan of Harry Kane. Obviously, he's a, a natural goal scorer, but I always think that kind of target man, to, you know, put it in very simple parlances, it can hinder you at times because if he's the focal point of your attack, obviously, like you said, you've had Son and Richarlison to a lesser extent playing off him. But if you've got that focal point, then it feels like everyone's kind of 
obligated to make sure everything goes through him without him being there. And like you said, the kind of responsibility being spread and with, you know, Postacoglu covered in and, you know, taking no prisoners, it seems. Yeah, it does seem freer, very freer. That's the word I'm just going to keep using, free. Free. They are free. free. It's wonderful to see from Ange, though. Because obviously people yeah. wrote him off when they, they, they appointed him because they had the big names of Mourinho and Conte and they've gone down to Celtic. Well, you know what I mean. They've gone down to the Scottish mm. League in comparison to where Conte and Mourinho have been through their careers. Brought in Ange. But as I just love listening to him, me. Like, in that press conference after the game, I think it was, where he pulls down the moose from Talk Sports Pants, which is what you love to see because the moose is terrible. He's awful. He's putrid. Because um, the moose sort of asked him, oh, are you a big fan of Robbie Williams? Because Robbie Williams <laughs> Robbie Williams did that chant, my friend, my friend. I call everyone my friend because I've got no friends in my real life. So I pretend the footballers are my friends, my friend. Shooting there, yeah. Yeah, because wasn't the words like, have you heard of Robbie Williams? And Hans, didn't he just say, mate? He's like, have I heard of Robbie Williams? Come on. He's the sort of guy, again, there was a little bit on a social media release when I think he handed Son um, the captain's armband and whoever got the vice captaincy as well. I think it was, who was it? Was it Madison, I think, got the vice captaincy? Just the way he talks. He's mm. the sort of manager you like to say managing your team, I think. Yeah, he, he, he looks like he doesn't suffer fools, but he's he's not going to sugarcoat anything either. He's Like you said, he, he does seem to have that kind of old school mentality and temperament where he just seems like everything annoys him. <laughs> and that's the way he gets the best out of his team. <laughs> but you're saying about people writing him off. I remember... What, week one or two on this podcast and I was admitted you know I hadn't seen much of his work and was unsure how he'd done but based on these first four games if he can build on this they'll be sound I just want to remind everybody in my Premier League predictions for the season I named Spurs my dark horse team of the season Mm. It's going to go tits up soon. Chelsea nil, Nottingham Forest won. It looked like Chelsea sort of might have started. I don't know if turned the corner is the right word, but it looked like Poch was sort of getting everything together after the win against Luton. How they played against the Reds on the opening day, stuff like that. But Caicedo has another Western Supermare in the build-up to Alanga's lovely slide rule finish. I had to Google what that word actually was, slide rule. Because I've heard about, obviously, the slide rule pass, but I've always mm. sort of misheard the commentator. And I've just thought, oh, slide rule. It's obviously, I don't know, but I learned what that word actually was today. Oh, fantastic. There's weird football parlances, isn't there? Like jinking run. I've never heard the word jinking used (laughs) in any other context apart from a jinking run. I don't know what it means. No. Like, I know what it means in football, but I don't know what the word means. But um, in terms of uh, Caicedo, I I have been enjoying a little bit of schadenfreude. I I will admit, I'm not a big man. I I can admit that freely. Um, And... I was at a I was at a barbecue with my mates on Saturday and we were all laughing at him. Um, I'm sure he's crying himself to sleep with all the money he's made with that dream move <laughs> to Chelsea. But it, it's I think this is highlighted as well after it came out this week. What was Chelsea's transfer policy? No one over 25 or 26 was it that they were aiming for? Must be. They yeah. need they need a bit more leadership and composure in that team because individuals they've still got really good players, but there's just very little cohesion so far from what I've seen. You know who they need? You know who they need? Go on. They need a David Batty. They need someone <laughs> who will just take no bollocks in the middle of the park because I think that's where the youth is sort of centralised, isn't it, in the middle of the park? Because at the back, you've got Thiago mm. Silva sort of marshalling things up front. You've got people like Sterling, experienced bags of experience at the top level. But in the middle of the park, there's Gallagher, you know, three or four years maybe at the top level he's had now. Enzo, yeah. fresh in the country just about. Uh, Chukwameka, I think I don't know he's injured at the minute, but you know what I mean. Everyone else is young in the middle of the park. They need that arsehole in the middle of the park who's been there and done it. 
They need Maro and Fellaini. That's who they need. <laughs> I thought that went low enough with David Batty, but you've taken things even lower. <laughs> but yeah, Caicedo gives the ball away where he just can't give the ball away, just sort of like on the edge of his D, but in his own half. And obviously mm. Alanga, who... I never really understood the hype around him when he was at Manchester United, but he had that little cameo at the Emirates on the opening day where he was fantastic. Then he had this one here where he's, you know, he, I think he murked, who was it in the second half? He murked someone. Rio Ferdinand's World Cup wind-ups, he proper murked them, fam. Um, <laughs> you got was, murked. Yeah, you'd be murked. <laughs> it was wonderful bit of skill, so it looks like he's really coming into his own being on a sort of smaller stage at Nottingham Forest. Yeah, um, all, you know, again, fair play to Forest. I think everyone had pretty much written them off before the season started, thinking that they were they were lucky last season. But what was the the stat on match of the day? Have they scored in every single one of the last ten league games or something like that? So yeah, I, I won. He must have like it was it before this game. I think he scored in the last seven before this game yeah. the weekend. So yeah, they they, they seem fearless uh, again. It's it's a good time to be playing Chelsea because, like we're saying, while they're still at a bit of sixes and sevens and they're not try, quite figured out what they want to look like and what they want to play like. And obviously they've got to get literally a billion pounds worth of talent settled. But there's glimpses there that when it does click, and obviously, like you said, you've got Pochettino leading it, that they could become something scary, but they need to click first. Yeah. And it wasn't as they didn't have any chances because Jackson in the second half, it sort of the ball bobbles to him just sort of like three or four yards out, pretty much the centre of goal. He's on the stretch, admittedly, so it's not the easiest finish, but he puts it over the Denver bar. And you think if that goes in, maybe they can just get some goals. But that Jackson, he's in my fantasy team. and He's the sort of player, because I watched him play against Newcastle in pre-season. And I was like, wow, this is the sort of player I like to see up front. He's just got bags of running. He's got the bit of physicality there. He's a bit of a loose cannon. He's, you don't really know what... I don't think he knows what he's going to do next. So as a fan, it's quite funny watching him. Uh, so I was like, yeah, this is the sort of player I want on my fantasy team. But he's missing a he's missing a bag load of chances, so he is. <laughs> he's, he's just not just not providing the goods, is he? No, he's ne- nearly he's got he got a goal against Luton, I think it was. I think he's had a couple of assists as well. But you want a bit more. But he seems like a nice yeah. fella. <laughs> I mean that um, opening day against Liverpool, he looked really sharp. And again, I was not too familiar with him because when I heard Nick Jackson's coming on, <laughs> I was having flashbacks to obviously our, our day job. But um, yeah, he's. An odd player, I think I'm going to say at this point in the season. An odd player. It could go one or two ways. And obviously, big shout out to Joe Warrell of Nottingham Forest as well. Got, I think he got man of the match uh, on the week. Sort of, uh, He had a big death in his family and he was just there kicking everybody, heading everybody. It's what you love to see, the modern day Terry Butcher. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those, I think, fairy tale endings a bit too dramatic considering it was a league game, but... It's it's those little those little things in football that remind us why we're fans, Ross, isn't it? <laughs> How whimsical! Uh, Manchester City five, <laughs> Fulham one. No pep in the dugout. Obviously, as Jeremy Doku signed for fifty five million odd pounds, something like that makes his debut. Paulinho not on the Fulham team because the day before this game, his move to Bayern Munich collapsed, which means his head will be rattled for a fair few weeks. I would imagine. Could you imagine that? Mm. Yeah, it's it. It must be uh, odd because. People talk about the high-pressure situations of actually playing for teams and conducting yourself in the media, but to go through all that kind of mental build-up, it's like, you know, if you prep yourself for a big meeting or like a massive date or something and something happens last minute and then you've got this kind of like weird anxiety and adrenaline that you need to kind of, yeah, it must be horrible. Because he was in Germany, completed his medical, and then for whatever reason, Fulham just were like, well, we're not going to get a replacement in now. Let's just pull the deal. Come back home, Paulinho. (laughs) Do you think it will... 
I, w- I wonder if he's going to throw his toys out the pram because surely he'll try and force a move in January. You'd think so. And you'd think Bayern Munich would still be interested come January, surely. But then again, he's uh, he's getting towards his late 20s. So that's a, a huge four months you're missing out on there. <laughs> I mean, it makes all the difference at this level, Ross. Let me tell you that. I'm so tired. I'm just relying on cliches today. <laughs> Hey, there's not wrong with cliches. We should release a book of football. I bet there is a book of football cliches already, isn't there? Oh, more than likely. Clive but if F's, not, let's uh, Clive let's capitalize F's on it. cliches. <laughs> just me in a sheepskin coat, just dressed like John Watson on the front, <laughs> with a, a microphone like that, a crackling fireplace in the background. Oh, jumpers for goalposts, all that stuff. Oh, <laughs> lovely. Uh, Phil Foden, though, he appears to be taking the bollocks by the horns, if bollocks do have horns, in the absence of both Gundogan, who obviously left in the summer, and Kevin De Bruyne, who got injured on the opening day. He was class against Newcastle. He was class again here. And it's nice to see, because we were sat here. What ha- what happened? Was it Gundogan was sold, and then they played the, was it the Community Shield, or what the, the Super Cup or something like that? And he still yeah. wasn't getting in the starting eleven, and we were sat here saying, what's he got to do to get in there? Yeah, because I think you were saying that it, it seems like it's been like four years on the bounce now that people are going, I've been saying, oh, wait till he establishes himself and he'll be frightening. Um, and again, in this match, he was frightening. He's such a good player. I remember for all the chatter around him before he really broke onto the onto the scene, everyone's like, oh, Phil Foden's coming. I was like, ah, who cares? Some teenager. We'll wait and see. And then he's very good, isn't he? He's very, very, very good. He's very, 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 very good. And then we obviously have the Haaland hat-trick. I thought it was a really soft foul on Alvarez that gave Haaland the penalty for his second goal. His third goal, I love that finish. The first time sort of swires into the bottom corner. I've used that word again. Football cliche. Is it a cliche? It's not a cliche, is it? It's just a hipster term. Swaz. Oh, he put some swears on it. It's it's the new fizz, isn't it? Fizz. Yeah, you got your fizz, you got your swaz, you got your whip. Yeah. You've got your Thunder Bastard. <laughs> How else Thunder can you Bastard, kick a football? <laughs> off, off the Sunday roast, into the mixer, in the onion bag. Oh. But I, it was a lovely finish for his third. I thought the penalty of Alvarez was really, really soft. And obviously the big talking point of the afternoon, even though I don't think it would have mattered really in the grand scheme of things with it being 5-1. Marco Silva was absolutely fuming after the game, saying, people have never played the game, making these decisions. They don't know what they're doing. Ah, oh, they're all arseholes. We have the Nathan Ake goal, where Akanji was clearly offside. And he clearly interfered with play because he had to jump out the way of the ball hitting him. If he stood still, the ball would have hit him. So how that not how that's not interfering with play, I've got no idea. Especially when he was in the uh, the sort of eye line of Leno and goal. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it would have been a bad error if we didn't have VAR. But the fact that we brought in VAR apparently to make all these things clear and to sort out things like this, but then the the vagueness of clear and obvious error and all this, it's just we. I hate the fact that we have to go on about the referees every week, but we have to go on about the referees every week. They're just not up to standard. Um, and I can't blame Marco Silva for being furious because, like you said, if it wouldn't have gone in, it still would have been a cakewalk for Man City because it's boring and inevitable and they are a fantastic team. But it's it's the chaos theory of football, isn't it? If that doesn't go in, then it might have ended up differently, even though logic suggests it wouldn't. And I'm getting tired of it. Yeah, I'm getting tired of referees full stop. In our little break there while the wrestling was taking over our lives, we had that interview with Mike Dean, Simon Jordan, basically <laughs> saying he wouldn't send his pal uh, to the screen to review a decision, which he regrets. And then he went back on the comments about it. I think he called him his mate, not his pal. And he's like, mm. he just he calls everyone mate because he's from Liverpool or whatever he said. 
it wasn't actually him referring to his colleague, a referee who, you know, in a professional setting, they had a job to do, and they didn't do that job because, you know, mate was used, and he didn't want to send next. He had a, he had a good game or, or a tough game. I forget what exactly he said, but everyone's heard the comments. Yeah. Referees at the moment are being brought into disrepute, and this doesn't help matters at all. Examples like this. It's yeah, it's it's reinforced what we all thought it was anyway that it was just you know the referees looking out for each other rather than the um, rather than keeping the game as pure as it can be. I can't find my words, but I'm sick of them. I'm yeah. just I'm sick of them. That's it's 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 annoying though because it's not like if you're bad at your job you could be fired or let go and there's other people that you can bring in. It's not like you can transfer a refer- a good referee in from like the South American League or anything like that. You've got to come up through the footballing system. And if it's crap across the board at the top, then you're stuck with them. I learned about that football, like that journey for a referee this week because uh, Mark Halsey, the former Premier League ref, was on under the cosh. I didn't realise mm. that you were given sort of like a point scoring system by clubs in the league where you referee, and then if you get a certain amount of points and good reviews and whatnot, you get bumped up the league. This can happen at the start of a season. I think you said it could happen in the middle of the season, at the end of a season as well. Um, I didn't realise it was done that way. I don't know what I thought happened, but I didn't assume clubs give you points. Points mean prizes, and you get promoted every time you get, you know, a certain amount of points from the different teams in your league. Yeah, my my nephew's, um, he's 18, but he's been a referee for a few years because he loved the age of 14. He's not good enough to play football, so he went, I'll become a ref and earn a couple of quid. So, you know, referees, you know, under 15s games and stuff like that, but he, he loves it, and um, seeing him like you said, the point system and the certain managers who prefer him to other referees because obviously at that level, some of the referees are, you know, people built like me, but who are 20 years on me, you know, 50-year-old fat men um, who just can't be bothered. But he like he takes it seriously because he realises that, you know, he could potentially rise the ranks if he wanted to. Yeah. why would you, I don't understand why he would become a referee. Yeah, Even I've, I've back, asked it as I well. Imagine, I imagine it's a little bit like tamer than it was back back in my day. But back in my mm. day, it was all, some of the things that would happen to the referees was awful. Dads threatening them out, players kicking the ball at them. I remember there was this one referee who made the... It was a shocking call. But one of the players grabbed the ball, and this referee was wearing glasses, and he just booted this ball as hard as he could at the referee's head, smashed his glasses, cut on his head, just for a Sunday league, like under-15s game or something like that. You've got to be a special kind of person with a special kind of tolerance, I think, to get in the referee. Yeah, because my nephew is really really nice and really placid as well. He is six foot one. I I think that kind of helps, but um, he's not had much aggro. I mean, um, his sister, my niece, is really good at football. And he was refereeing one of their games once and showed that there was no bias because he sent her off. And I think she swore at him a lot afterwards. But um, <laughs> he basically sat out of the store saying, oh, no, I'm just I'm, I'm here to try and keep things fair. But obviously I'm biased. All other referees, they can sod off. But my nephew's good. What's his name? So we'll know to reference him when he becomes a Premier League referee in five to ten years' time. Um, I'll just give his first name because I don't want to um, <laughs> dox him just in case. Um, but he's, his name's Finley. Finley, that's a distinctive name. So if you see a referee called Finley, it's the <laughs> nephew of Clive F. We move on now to Brighton 3, Newcastle 1. I missed the first half of the first half because I was getting me, me latest tattoo done. And apparently I missed every single chance that Newcastle had outside of Anthony Gordon, making a mess of one in the second half. Um, 
I don't know what to make of the game. We got absolutely spunked on. It was terrible. We tried to play out from the back and it just didn't work repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. Brighton did the same thing as St. James's Park towards the end of last season and they got humped four or five by us because we just did the high press. And for some mm. reason, we saw those tactics by Brighton and thought, oh, we'll do that against them this time. And it worked the exact same way as it did for Brighton on that night at St. James's. The midfield's a big, big worry for Newcastle at the minute because we have obviously brought in Tonali, Joe Linton and Bruno seem to be the you know the more high-quality players than Sean Longstaff. But I'm fully on board to rename Sean Longstaff Sean Paul because he is the glue that holds that midfield together. Sean Longstaff should be the first name on the team sheet with either or two of Tonali, Bruno and Joe Linton getting the two midfield places because when you take Longstaff out of there, Bruno can't do what he does because he's now in the sitting role that uh, Sean Longstaff normally does. And also Longstaff like sort of leads the press as well, which I don't think is Bruno being used to his uh, best by him leading that. Mm. And Joe Linton can't do what he does because he's then covering someone else's job. The balance is all wrong. And it's horrible to say when you spend £60 million on a, mid- on a midfielder to make your midfield worse. <laughs> well, uh, I'm glad you said all that because I was going to say as soon as I saw the results, like what was missing but it just seems like yeah cohesion in the middle because I'm surprised I'm not surprised because he's good but Anthony Gordon despite like you said fluffing his lines a few times is looking like a completely different player already this season if he could kick a football if he had a swaz and a whip and a thunderbust if he could kick it's it's everything's perfect until he comes to either hit the final pass which again we saw the opening day of the season when he he whipped it in for Tenali it can go right but by and large so far it's the end product that he just doesn't have and it's it's scenarios where like that one in the second half he has to be doing better but he doesn't do better and it's happening too much for me at the minute that sort of stuff I mean I know the transfer window's just closed but if it carries on like this what kind of signing would you be aiming for in january i don't know it's a weird one because I, I just think we need to get long stuff back in then i think that's going to make a world of difference it's obviously a very tough call for eddie Howe. we need another center back i think that was displayed fantastically the weekend obviously sven botman missing through injury so dan Byrne played center back for the first time in a long old while he looks like he should be a center back but he plays left back better than he does center half because he looked completely lost in this game um so a center back who is you know, maybe not going to be a starting player because Shaw and, and uh, Botman have got a fantastic partnership going. We saw last season being the you know the 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 the, the, the most watertight defence alongside Manchester City. So we were. That's not looking like it's going to happen this season. So centre half and Nick Pope's a big worry for me because he started off this season not looking very good at all. We all know he can't kick a football, and that's fine. But the the shots, the shot stopping, the command of his area, the sort of distribution out of his hands to launch counter attacks, that's sort of made up for the fact he can't kick a football. But now you see with that first goal for Brighton, I know it's got a lot of power on it. It was a thunder bastard from Billy Gilmore, uh, but it came from a long way out, and he spilled it in a really bad area. And for a keeper of his level, that shouldn't be happening. And it just feels like he's not on the level that he was last season. And again, he could turn it round. I'm not going to write him off now, but the way it's been going this season and in pre-season as well, I guess it's it's a little bit worrying for Nick Pope as well. Yeah, he should be doing better definitely with that first. Um, but again, as, as much as it was about what Newcastle did wrong, Brighton have really impressed me. I think everyone thought that they were just going to wither after having their midfield raided, but they're looking superb. They're looking really good, really tight. They haven't lost a step. If anything, they look like they've improved. Um, And they've still got, they signed a new midfielder from Lille, I think it was, to replace Caicedo, who hasn't played a game yet. He was in the stands, Mm. sat alongside Anzu Fati, who's uh, joined Brighton on loan, which is a sentence I can't believe I'm saying. Yeah, it's, (laughs) 
crazy, isn't it? I yeah. think everyone said the same thing as soon as it went through. They went, hang on. Really? And I didn't is realize he had, had a big injury, which I think ruled him yeah. out for close to a year. And apparently since he's come back from that, he's not really been the same player. So to get him back up to speed in your team and a team like Brighton as well, that's you're licking, you're licking your lips there, aren't you? <laughs> I wonder if I wonder if they've got a maybe not an obligation to buy, but I wonder if they've got a purchase clause in there, or if it was it literally is just get him back to speed and send him back. I don't know. But, if you're Barcelona, surely you're thinking, oh, we've got a player on the books, we'll keep him there because we can't really spend. Well, in in theory, we can't really spend too much money on 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 players, but we we continue to do so, don't we? Because we're Barcelona, and much like yeah. Chelsea, we don't care about the rules. Uh, obviously, the other <laughs> highlight from the game is is woeful it was from Newcastle's part. Ferguson up front looks the real deal at 18 years of age. I wish I was that big and stocky when I was 18. I'd have no issues with the frat boys on Northumberland Street in Newcastle upon time. I'd shoulder barge them all out the way. Are you living vicariously through Ferguson? Now, I am, yeah. He's a really good footballer. And he's, I, lo- yeah. I love the size. Of, this is going to sound weird. I love the size of the guy because it's a sort of throwback sort of build for a centre forward. He's, he, he, he sticks his arse into people like Kenny Dagleish and his pump. Lovely arse as Ferguson. And obviously that second goal of the three, obviously the third one's deflected. Shah mm. didn't really try to block it. So I hope Eddie Howe sconned his arse when he got in the dressing room as well. Because uh, he just sort of flailed a leg out and didn't really commit to making the block. But that second goal, the way he sort of picked his spot, I don't think any goalkeeper's getting near that one. Because a lot of people said, oh, Nick Pope's gone down slow there. But I just think Nick Pope realised, I'm getting nowhere near this. I'm just going to die for the cameras a bit. Yeah. You had to save face a little. There's nothing worse than just kind of standing there like a lemon and watching it go in. Yeah. But yeah, and this was again. I I did watch this one Saturday, and it obviously Ferguson's getting the headlines, but Matoma as well. I think is superb. Um. Yeah, I think if they can keep everyone fit, they'll be probably punching for Europe again. And like you said, you just need a bit more cohesion in your midfield, and I think you'll be all right. Yeah, I'm just I'm hoping we make the change with Longstaff just to see what happens there because obviously we've had an awful in terms of like the look of the drawn fixtures we've had a pretty pretty rough start I'll argue maybe the roughest start in the league so far we've got a fair few good fixtures coming up where you'd hope we'd pick up points in this start hasn't really hampered us too much so we'll have to wait and see but I think it, 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 go back and look at prediction stuff I didn't think Newcastle would do much this season this we didn't do we, well I don't we could. I say we couldn't do enough in the, in the summer window. We could have done a Chelsea and just banked on, you know, a fine coming in because that's what's happened in the past to likes of PSG and teams like that. Um, but we didn't do enough in the in the summer window. The squad, there's too much of the old era still in the squad for us to do good things on forefronts for my money. Yeah. Well, yeah. In more positive news though, was it a, was it a nice tattoo session? It was a nice tattoo session. Gavin Lyons is yeah. a wonderful man. Spoke very highly of you. Really? Yeah, I didn't realise that we were sort of like in the same thing because you apparently told me wrote for a wrestling website and didn't mention a YouTube channel. So I was like, yeah, me and him work together. <laughs> well, my priorities work-wise are usually working for the website, yeah. But but I, Gavin Lyons, at North yeah. Bridge, what's it called? Oh, I've forgotten it now. High Bridge. High, High Bridge Tattoo in Newcastle. Wonderful man. Yeah. Got a lovely eagle on my leg. Very quick as well. I was only in the chair for about an hour and hour and a half. Yeah, I I was in with him the other week because he came to Liverpool and was in for 50 minutes. Just absolutely blasted it and on my way. Yeah, what a guy. What a guy. 
Sheffield United <laughs> and Everton had ended Desmond 2-2. Sheffield United playing some very nice stuff. The case in point was the build-up to Cameron Archer's equaliser, where he swazzed it in the upper echelons of Jordan Pickford's net. And speaking of, Jordan Pickford, how's your look, you tit? Archer was the Sven Bender from the edge of the area. I'll just a bit further out. It hits Pickford's head, and it goes back in to the goal. And it couldn't have happened to a bigger whopper. <laughs> yeah. It, it's both the most Jordan Pickford goal ever and the most Everton goal I've seen for a good while. Um, for Archer's first, like, very nice, but it was too easy. I'm just looking. If if, if it looks like I'm being rude, I've got my notes on the phone. Um, for his first, it was nice. It was easy. No one was closing him. Uh, and like you said, the second one, yeah, did laugh when it going off Pickford. Again, I'm not a big man. I enjoy a bit of Schadenfreude. So do I. I'm a big England fan, but it's just him. It's got nothing to do with him being a Mackham. It's the way he carries himself on a football pitch that does my head in. It's mm. a case in point again, just to use that phrase. Another, another, another. Yeah, I've forgotten that word. Clive F's book of um, cliches, cliches. That's the one. Case yeah. in point. It's the, the the save he does right at the end, which is you know no doubt about it. Fantastic. It's a wonderful oh, save yeah. when he tips it on the bar and sort of gets up. He gets a bit of luck where it hits on the hits him on the head for the rebound. But it's the little sort of look he gives to the crowd with that cocky look on his face. It's like you're drawn two two away at Sheffield United. You're Everton, who's had an awful start of the season, and it, you're giving it that one to the crowd, like the look of the sneering towards the crowd, like look at I'm Bertie Big Bollocks, me I'm Jordan Pickford. I've made a worldy save, but I know it. And it's like he thinks he's Tafferell. He did it in I don't know uh, why I said the there. <laughs> it's it's because we've got those nineties and early two thousands uh, goalkeepers on the he brain. Did, but he did this he... with his hands as well, Jack. And it's like yeah, it's a wonderful save, and I'm all for goalkeepers celebrating it. But you know, yeah. give it one of them, not just like yeah, I'm Jordan Pickford and I'm drawing two two at with Sheffield United, and I've kept us in the oh yeah, piss off. He, <laughs> he, he was he was giving it the Tessies during one of the Merseyside derbies last season. Don't ask me which one because you know my memory. <laughs> But, you know, time wasting and comically falling down and being like, I'm Jordan Pickford. I'm historically boss in this fixture. And then again, we pulled his pants down and Alisson was taking the piss out of him down the other end doing the same. But um, like you said, you're an England fan. You don't like his, his chutzpah. Um, I, I'm obviously a Liverpool fan and I still hate the fact that he um, broke Virgil van Dijk, who's not been quite the same player since. So, <laughs> sod him. That was a fantastic karate tackle, though. Well, yeah, in terms of an assault, it was fantastic. <laughs> but the fact he didn't get any comeuppance for it, I'm still angry about it. I'm an angry man. Yeah, but it was the first points of the season for both teams in the league. I think Beto up front for Everton. He, he got his first goal away at uh, the Doncaster Rovers in the Cup at the week. Yeah. A nice little finish there on the run. He looks like a handful. He's got this obviously the size, the strength and a bit of speed as well. He looks like a very good player. Yeah, um, Everton fans that I follow on Twitter are excited about him. They, they need something to cheer for because it's, like I said, the fact that we're having a, releg- a potential relegation six-pointer this early in the season does not bode well for either Sheffield United fans or Everton fans, but he does look really good. Um, I did like when he signed as well. I think it was uh, Gerard Delefeu put on Twitter a picture of the pair of them and just put something like, enjoy the toffees, la, in all caps. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'd love his, to hear. His... I'd love to hear a scouser with a thicker accent than yours try and pronounce his name. How's that Gerard coming out? Dele... Put, uh, turn your scouse up to eleven and say Gerard Delafeu. Gerard <laughs> uh, Delafeu. Oh, I went quite nasal there. That was horrible. <laughs> um, what else was going to say? That is it. Hamer, who just plays off the front for Sheffield United, he was like a good player. Was it uh, Coventry? Gustavo? He scored the big Sven Bender away at Nottingham Forest a couple of weeks ago. He looks like a handful as well. 
Yeah. In a different way to Benno, obviously, because he's about half the size. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, They're a funny team, Sheffield United, because obviously everyone was criticising their transfer policy before they even kicked the ball for getting rid of some of their best players. And I do still think they'll go down, but there's... They don't look completely hopeless, like you said. There's there's a couple of diamonds in the rough in there, but again, this was against this was a poor Sheffield United team against a poor Everton team. Who, if it wasn't for Jordan Pickford, Everton wouldn't have even got a point. So, we'll, again, we'll wait and see. I'm I'm sitting on the fence all this week. I'm I'm having one of them, Ross. I'm I'm picking those two to go down, mate. Because Everton again towards the dying embers of the transfer window, let Alex Awobi go to Fulham on a five. I think it was a four or five year deal. What? I don't understand. Maybe the player wants to go back home, like towards London way, where I guess he grew up and whatnot, coming through with the ranks at Arsenal. But from a club point of view, surely you got to be putting the stoppers on that one so late into the transfer window. Like Liverpool have but- done with Salah. Like obviously, I think if this, you know, the offer from Saudi, which we'll speak about more in depth a bit later on, I think if if that comes in July and you've got two months to try and find a replacement and spend all that money, I think maybe you're just entertaining that bit a bit more than you did. But Everton, they've got an approach from Fulham on deadline sort of week. And they've let him go. Yeah, it's it, he's a weird one, um, Awobi, because I really rate him. I think he's been fantastic for Everton. Obviously, inconsistent, but being inconsistent in a very inconsistent Everton team is not much. But he really divided the fan base. Some loved him and some hated him. Um, like my nephew was talking about before is an Everton fan. He really liked him, but his dad, my brother, who's also an Everton fan, couldn't stand him and is probably celebrating the fact they got him out of the club. But I thought he was arguably their best player, player for most of last season. Yeah, he seemed so, to be like uh, on a road to nothing until Frank Lampard came in. And it just seems like when Lampard came in, he just played him more centrally. And he started mm-hmm. being like sort of, a, not a box-to-box midfielder, but he seemed to be all action, that all action type. Another cliche to throw in there. The all action midfielder, Alex Awobi. <laughs> the Roy of the Rovers type. Um <laughs> But yeah, I was I was surprised when I saw it go through because, like I said, I'd heard the rumblings of it and thought, oh, this late in the day they won't they won't sanction it. And then how much was it? About it was over twenty million, wasn't it? I don't know. I didn't see a price. Just saw the length of the contract he signed at Fulham. Yeah, I think I think I want to say twenty three million. I'm probably way off, but a, a decent chunk of change. But as we've seen with Everton, they're not always the best at reinvesting. Even though, like we said, that uh, Beto looks really good. Yeah. Another Desmond 2-2 in the Premier League this weekend was Brentford and Bournemouth. A lovely free kick from Jensen that caught Neto by surprise, just went over the line despite his best efforts and goal. David Brooks with a lovely finish where he puts the keeper on his ass before putting it in. You always love to see that sort of finish. And then Buemo. It was both sides of Buemo this week. He had the sort of sit away, sort of running onto the ball and sort of tries to bend it in the far corner but puts it wide when he should be hitting the target. But then he gets the, uh, I think it was the equaliser, wasn't it, in the end? excuse me, to make a 2-2, proven once again so far this season. He's one of the most deadly finishers in Europe. Brian and Buermo. I mean, Brian and Buermo? Brian and Buermo. <laughs> I think the result was, was fair. From Again, from what I saw of the highlights, I don't know if it was a case of Brentford looking good on the break or if Bournemouth were just sloppy in the midfield. Um, as for... Bournemouth, like Solanke for his goal, wasn't really tested. He kind of had the run of the pitch. I do think both of them will probably be, you know, 12th, 13th in the league. I think they'll both have fine seasons, but we'll just... It, it's it's another... Not a bedding in season, because obviously they've been up for a couple of seasons each now, but I think it'll be another one where they're just like, right, we're, we're here for a little while. Let's just try and build off what we got. 2-2 uh, seemed fair. 
Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how high Brentford get up the table this season. Obviously, they're not missing Ivan Tony as we're sat here. Maybe in a game like that, he's the guy who makes the difference and gets them a win instead of getting a Desmond. Uh, but I think it's, you know, Brentford finished in the top half last season. Can they match that this season with the, I guess, the top teams getting, that, that, that pool of top teams getting bigger, it feels like. Yeah, well, like you said, some some of the results already. I mean, I think Brighton will be up there. Uh, a team we'll talk about in a minute. West Ham will be up there. Um, we'll come on to Villa in a minute. It's like you said that the the competition around, you know, going for those Europa League places is getting really intense. And even if the top of the table with City dominating is getting a bit boring, at least there's enough around the league for 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 the neutral fan. There you go. Another cliche to really get the hooks into but i like brentford um i'm i'm really glad that they've kicked on they see they seem a likable team i don't know that's based on nothing but you know the old hearts just going off this here we go <laughs> we'll keep them coming i've got them for days mate hey wait until romeo becker makes his debut he's the one that signed for brentford this summer wasn't it I think so yeah because as well david beckham is he from is he from brentford or is he just from nearby that kind of D- david beckham's from peckham that's all i always remember that david beckham was born in peckham yeah. So I don't know where Peckham is in relation to Brentford. <laughs> <laughs> but Romeo does play for Brentford B. Because obviously they don't have the youth system, do they? Because they do. What's, what's the, the tactic called in the way they buy their players? Moneyball? Have I just made that up? There's some... No, Moneyball. It's, it's, it, well, that's what um, Liverpool used to do, where you buy low, sell high kind of thing. Yeah. They've got a thing where they don't like, produce their own youth academy products, they buy based on metrics. And statistics yeah. and stuff like that. And they swore there. Whoopsie diddles. Anyway, I think it was a fair result there. Desmond 2-2 at the G-Tech Community Stadium. I think it's called off the top of my head to give its official name. Up the vacuum cleaners. Uh, Luton 1, West Ham 2. Jared Bowen scoring away from home after failed to score allegedly away from home in the league for the entirety of last season. He only scored his goals at the London Stadium last season, which is a shocking stat. Uh-huh. Yeah, because I think Bowen's really good, but I... I... I was not aware of that stat. No. Sneaked it at the front post, but he just sort of it was hit hard at the goalkeeper, could go anywhere, just ended up in the back of the net. The tightest offside, Cole denies Emerson a second for West Ham. It was uh, Mikel Antonio in the build-up, who I think his elbow, right at the end mm. of his elbow was offside and nothing more, but he was it was given and it wasn't reviewed, which is, again, another thing. We're scratching our heads like, why can't it be reviewed if it's that tight? I don't know, because that's why you're, yeah. looking, you're looking for the, you know, the clear line to be drawn. And I don't think it could be in that situation. Well, I think I think this goes in with one of the rules we've seen this season, where the referees' association are seemingly obsessed with keeping the game flowing and not, um, you know, bringing back time and all that. And it does seem to me that some of these VAR decisions, if it's going to take too long, they're just like it's not worth it, move on, kind of thing, which is not the right approach to be taken. No, no, no. And obviously, Kurt Zuma kicks a cat, scores a tower and header for the second West Ham goal. I think you got man of the match on the night as well. I think West Ham were looking really good, back to that sort of pragmatic team of a couple of seasons ago. Not playing the nicest football, but they're playing football that works. Their midfield looks really impressive with Alvarez and JWP. He got another mm. assist on the night for that Zuma goal as well. They're looking like they're settling in really well. Uh, Anderson gets a consolation goal for Luton in stoppage time, who all... I think they should have had a penalty at the end as well because that handball on James Ward-Prowse, it's got to be given. You've seen them given before. His arm's yeah. in an unnatural position. I don't understand when that rule doesn't apply for some reason because his arm's like sort of away from his body. It's not like down by his side. I don't know what's going on with that one. I think it should have been a pen. But in the end, I think that would have been unfair on West Ham because they were good value for their win here. Yeah, same same thoughts of you. James Ward-Prowse has really impressed me. That 
corners to set up um, Kakekazuma. Um, beautiful. Uh, are you saying about Anderson's consolation goal for Luton? It's what uh, what uncles around the country would call a it's proper header, proper header that. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was a handball for me. Yeah. Um, and apparently referees know better, but I'm starting to think week on week that they, they really don't. But it, the, the the rules are too hard and I was going to say hard and fast and then hard and loose. They're too open to interpretation and it's just, I don't think it's going to get better until someone definitively says yes or no. Yeah, it just needs that or consistency this. back, 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 back in our day. It was either a handball or it wasn't. It was an offside or it wasn't. Now we're drawing lines on armpits and stuff like that. It's, just, it's a load of bollocks. We just strip it all back, take it back to basics. Football wasn't broken in the, in the well, before a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah. Bring back ball to hand, that's what I say. <laughs> on to Sunday we go. Arsenal 3, Manchester United 1. I think I've got to mention Kai Havertz with that air shot when the ball broke to him in the middle of the box. What? He's obviously a very talented footballer. He's Nice to watch. He's silky. He's got a pass on him. He can do a jinking run for a man of his stature. He's got a finish on him when he wants. It's not very often, but he has got a finish on him. What? He looks awful this season. <laughs> Is it a confidence thing, do you think? I don't know, because the sort of he's not a centre forward. He proved that in the second half of last season for Chelsea. He just doesn't score goals. He doesn't hold things up. He's not that player. I think he's a he's a I think he's a calm. A central mid, like mm. central attacking midfielder, just playing off the front because he can sort of link stuff up between the lines and all that sort of good stuff that managers like to talk about. Like they sound like they, they know what they're doing, um, but it just he he can't kick a ball anymore. He, no. he the balance of the, the you see Arsenal fans speaking apparently when he takes him off and brings on Vieira and people like that. The balance is so much better in the midfield as well. So he's not even when he's on the pitch, he's not like sort of feeling like he's contributing to anything either. It's very strange what's going on for a man who. Yeah, he has shown in the past that he is a good player. Yeah, I I think it's a case of Arsenal bought him based on what he was before he got to Chelsea. If you know what I mean, and yeah. they're thinking, oh, if he can re- rediscover that form, he could be something. I do think he's only got a few more matches to properly figure out what he's doing in that squad before they'll just not give up on him, but maybe not start him week in week out he, he, he needs to he needs to justify his position considering be, the rest of the squad looks really strong still he'll become the next Pepe do you think Trevor Pepe Nicola Pepe yeah when you said Pepe I thought you meant the OG you know <laughs> little Raj packet Pepe but yeah because again Nicola Pepe was another one who before he signed for Arsenal was fantastic player I know Liverpool were linked with him um, and when he signed he was like oh but then it looked like a bullet dodge because he, he failed to tell you anything he really did yeah uh, Rashford obviously with a brilliant opening goal uh, cutting in off the left hand side I thought Aaron Ramsdale was very unlucky he got a, a big hand to it well, well a, a medium hand to it but it was hit that hard and with that much direction pace and power it was a hard one to save a lovely ball from Ericsson to sort of slip Rashford in as well before mm-hmm. he cut inside it was a very nice goal on the eye yeah uh Rashford again like we were saying last season when he hit that purple patch he was absolutely superb um Man, you are such a weird side, though, that I don't know if this is going to be the start of something for him. Is this going to be another, you know, goal and then he'll pop up in like four or five games time and then do it again? But judging it on the occasion itself, yeah, he, he, he took it very well. 
He did. Then we have Odegaard about 35 seconds later with the equaliser. It was a speed about Haaland's finish uh, for his hat-trick goal a bit earlier on. Hard and low on the run. This is very much like that. He absolutely thwacked it with all the pace and direction that you want. It was unbelievable finish for me. Yeah, Arsenal were having a, a lot of fun down their left as well. And this, again, came from the left. But um, Odegaard's superb. He's... Like you said, he's that traditional, he's that controlling box-to-box midfielder. He just does what he wants. Oh, he's a joy to watch. But um, yeah, it, I, I like the fact that, because obviously the old cliche about Arsenal, wasn't it? For, was it from uh, the IT crowd? The problem try and walk Arsenal it in. Try and walk it in. Um, but just to see someone, like you said, give it not quite not quite the Thunder Bastard treatment, but uh, smashing it hard and low. Lovely. What's that part of your foot called that you hit the ball with? Sort of like, not the laces, but the, the bit the bit that goes down to, down the side. That bit. What's that bit called? Down down the side of your foot? You know, you got the laces on the top. So, yeah. lace on the top. And you got that bit that sort of goes down towards your instep. Not quite the instep, but the bit above the instep, but not quite the laces. What's that bit of your foot okay. called? Yeah, I, I know what you mean, but I don't, I don't know if it has a specific <laughs> name. Because he made fantastic contact with that bit of his foot, and I want to know what mm. that bit of the foot is called. If you let, if you know what it is, if you're a chiropodist, give us a give us a little <laughs> little comment in the chat down below, in the, in the comments down below. Uh, but yeah, it was lovely play from Martinelli and Inketia as well down the left hand side before he swazzed it in that there bottom corner. Then we have to talk about the penalty on Havertz, which was given, then reversed. I can see how the referee was tricked into giving the penalty because. Full speed, Casemiro coming across like he did. I think it was Dallow who, oh no, Wambasaka, sorry, on the other side, where they sort of clumsily came together. It looks like a penalty, but when you slow it down, I think he's gone down really easily there. Yeah, he has. Um, it was a soft challenge, and like you said, if it was given, you, you've you seen them given plenty of times. I don't have really strong opinions on this one, because when I first watched it, I went, oh, that looks really bad. Yeah. And then on the replay, I was like, for me... It could still justify it being a penalty. But like you said, at the same time, he, he did make a meal of it and it worked for 25 seconds. But Yeah, because there was contact. He sort of clips his, uh, I think his left or right, whichever boot it was on, on uh, yeah. Wampasaka's knee. Uh, but I don't think it's enough to go down. I think it was Casemiro coming. Because it looks like when it's in full speed from the camera angle, the hard cam, I guess we'll call it, for, for watching the match. It looks like he's been sort of sandwiched together, sort of tripped over that way. But when you watch it back slowly, there is not enough contact for me. And then we've got to speak about the offside as well that was given. Are the lines straight? I've been reading so much on Twitter this week, or x.com, that the Premier League is corrupt. If you look at the line that they drew in comparison to the lines on the pitch and the halfway line, it's not straight. And if you draw the line actually straight, it's actually onside. But I think it was chalked off because Garnacho was not only wearing Cristiano Ronaldo tribute boots, but he was also wearing Cristiano Ronaldo tribute underwear, which is too far for me, and it was fully deserved to be chalked off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, on first view, and I thought this was offside. And the question with the lines that I always say is, like, look at the pitch. They shave, shave, they mow lines into the ground. Just go based off those lines. Surely it's easy to draw a straight line. But again, it's another decision which is going to cause more debate than it should. But for me, offside, no complaints. But. I don't trust these refs. Yeah, because where, where they draw the line to show where he's offside, you know, the, 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 it's the goal scoring part of the body, isn't it? So it's like armpit, armpit inwards. They've put mm. that line, I'm going to sneeze in a second here, elephant, elephant, elephant. They've put that line as far like as far out of the out of the armpit 
as they could possibly yeah. get, if that makes sense. When you're looking at the TV screen, I don't know. I don't know what we're doing over here because obviously they've got the technology we use in the Champions League and the World Cups and Euros and stuff like that, where they have the 3D imagery sort of produced based on the actual picture on the pitch. What are we fanning around with this line drawing nonsense when we've got that technology at our disposal? What are we doing? Yeah, especially not only the fact that we've got the technology at our disposal, the fact that the amount of money in the Premier League and the obvious facilities in the Emirates, if they were wanted to have you know additional camera setups, there's no excuse not to be using it. Yeah. I just want to say, again, it's probably what I always say, uh, the arrogance of the refs being like, not having a computer tell me what to do. No, we'll be, we'll be all right. We've done it for years. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of bollocks. When it's there, just use it for goodness sake. Sort it out, man. Pull your fingers out your arseholes. And then we have Declan Rice scoring at the near post um, in stoppage time. Onano's unlucky there because I think he got a nice de- deflection off Johnny Evans just before mm-hmm. it got to him. He could save it. He could not save it. I think it's just he got a hand to it. It goes either way. It went in this time. Yeah, you got to ride your luck, haven't you? So, yeah. Like, again, one of them on another day, it would have capped out. Um, but what I liked about this, uh, obvious biases against Man United aside, this is the first time in a long time that Arsenal versus Man U has felt aggro again. Yeah. And I, I quite liked it. It made me feel like it was the early 2000s all over again. I'll tell you who fed into that as well. Uh, little hot and little medium to large size Hoyland when he came on as well he looked like mm. he was putting himself about he looked a bit not like Beto you know not like that big but he was he was putting himself about and getting a good scrap with Gabriel and people like that yeah he, he looked hungry he looked tenacious he had teeth <laughs> how many more can we do he was like a dog uh, that's not really Post a cliche, every football uh... he walks around like hello <laughs> <laughs> I've got no teeth I'm shopping around but it was that bit where Casemiro sort of like going yeah go on you little you know what? Uh, it's like, yeah, football's back. Here we go. Yeah. Bloody shirts coming back soon as well. It's what we all want to see. Bloody shirts and aggro in Arsenal versus Man U. Yes. We're simple creatures, but this this is our list of demands. Absolutely. Uh, then, obviously, after after that one in stoppage time, uh, we have the second goal for Arsenal in stoppage time, the third overall, where Jesus puts Diego Dallo on his arse and makes him into that meme where he sort of slides and then goes around the space. Do, 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 You know what I'm talking about there. A wonderful finish there from Jesus. A wonderful little cut inside. Dallo in the bin. Well, yeah. Gabriel Jesus is a strange player for me as well because it seems that He's always out. I, I like. I had him in my fantasy team last season for a bit, and I was just like, I don't know when and where he's going to play. But I don't know. Obviously, with Havertz kind of fluffing his lines time and time again, if you can keep Jesus fit, he starts for me. But bringing him as this kind of super sub role also works if he can pull stuff like this out. I don't yeah. know. I think he's a wonderful player. I remember oh, there was yeah. a game away they played at Bournemouth last year where Saliba scores that swaz into the top corner. And the way that Jesus put himself about, it was sort of like you never saw that him do that for Manchester City. It really always felt like he was on the end of a lovely pass and move. But what he was doing in the build-up, you know that Harry Kane gets a lot of plaudits for like what he does like in the build-up to play and winning free kicks and stuff like that. Mm. Jesus was putting himself about like that. And I was like, wow, I didn't know he's got that to his game. But he is. When he's fit, I think he's a total player. I think he's fantastic. Yeah, he is really good. But like you said, it's just keeping him fifth. It is. Next up, we go to Anfield, Liverpool 3, Aston Villa 0. A pal driver from Sabah Sly um, was absolutely fantastic. It was like a Thiago goal in the Champions League a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, hard and low where it seemed to pick up momentum and just kind of drift up. Um, 
everyone I know were all fully in love with Dominic's office line now. Um, I hate, I hate it because he was linked with Newcastle for so long, and it felt like we picked someone else over Sabasly. And it looks like Sabasly. They're t- different players, Tenali and Sabasly. But if you can yeah. have both of them, more. Oh, it feels like we've missed out on Sabasly. He's he's absolutely mustard. Um, he's superb. Our midfield already is looking transformed, and this is with we're not playing. To, to talk about, obviously, Alexis McAllister in that midfield as well. We're not quite playing him in his preferred position, but it seemed that between him, Sobersly, and Curtis Jones, they were just kind of like interchanging and twisting around. And despite not playing a proper defensive midfielder this week, it just looked fluid and it looked composed and it looked energetic. And oh, I was, yeah, I was very happy with the midfield performance. Everything Henderson and Fabinho are not. Because I'm, sh- I'm shocked he didn't play Hen, Hen- sorry, Endo, not Hendo. Endo, mm. with it being Villa, because obviously Villa, you know, good team, aren't they? They've, they're going to be yeah. good on the counter-attack uh, with Diaby and Watkins and people like that. So I'm surprised that he didn't go with a defensive midfielder from the start, but it didn't. he didn't miss him. No, uh, we, we played slightly more of a back four, Um Hen- uh, no, Henderson, what am I on about? Trent and Joel Matip seem to have been switching. So Matip would go onto the flank and Trent would go into the centre-back position. And by playing more of a back four as well, we got the best out of Andy Robertson again because when we were playing that kind of hybrid three with Trent going into midfield, Robbo looked a bit lost. But yeah, defensively, it looked like it was one for, again, a experiment to see, right, if we play with this kind of defensive lineup, can we go for a more attacking midfield? And on this occasion, it worked anyway. Yeah, if you speak about Trent there in passing, Trent with a fantastic ball sort of down the slide, which down the, the Sabah slide, <laughs> the Sabah slide, <laughs> uh, down the side of the pitch where sort of Salah runs onto it, he sort of puts it across the box, and that's where Nunez hits the post, hits Matty Cash, mm. Poland's Matty Cash, and it goes into the back of the net. But what a ball it was from Trent, the way he sort of, the way he, he, he talked his body, is that the right? He was con- contorted, what's the word? I'm tired today. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. Yeah. When, when you said talk to his body, I thought you meant him going, come on now, leg. Let's do this. and get. But uh, I mean, yeah, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm biased, but I'm, I'm really enjoying what we're seeing so far. And my prediction of Liverpool being in the top four, at least looks like if we continue this way, it will be sound. Obviously we've just brought in Ryan Gravenberg, who again, isn't, a traditional number six, but can play there. So if he can come in eventually and have that fluidity and switch around and get Endo a bit more up to speed and play him when we do need more of a kind of horses for courses player, I think we'll be hopefully all right. And he got Bacetich as well. Up mm. the Bacetich. Yeah, again, he's not, I say traditionally, he's, he's still very young, but he's, he's not really a number six either, but we played him in that position last season and he looks superb. Um, he's returned to training. I don't know if we're going to be saving him for maybe cup games to start off with and get him back up to speed or if uh, Klopp's going to see something from him during the international break. But yeah, I'm excited to see him back as well. Yeah, and obviously Aston Villa, just a word on them. They did it at St. James's Park on the opening day of the season, but this high line they play away from home, obviously Newcastle exploited on that day, getting five. 
Liverpool mm. did the same thing. What are they doing? Unai Emery, obviously known for keeping things tight and loving a European away day and getting to the finals of competitions and stuff like that, based off a solid defensive performance. But he plays this high line for a second time at least this season away from home in the Premier League, and it's bit them on the arse. Pau Torres mm. looks a bit lost, which is a surprise for me. He's obviously a, a quality footballer. But what do they do with this high line away from home? I don't know. I mean... I think the loss of Mings in the first match of the seasons really hurt them as well for that defensive stability. And um, Thingy went off this week as well, didn't he? Uh, oh, bollocks. Yeah, I know Thingy. Clive yeah, Thingy. Thingy. <laughs> Clive Thingy went off as well. Um, you know, potentially a knock. So I don't know what their transfer dealings were like in terms of defensive players, but they need to be more solid at the back, which is obviously an easy thing to say. But playing this high line, especially when you've got like you're saying, a, a Liverpool that are um, enjoying their attack and play, and when you've got a lunatic like Darwin Nunez up front as well, it just bit them on the arse. Yeah. What, what are they doing? What are they doing? I don't know. Anyway, we go to the final game of, this, of the weekend there, Crystal Palace 3, Wolverhampton Wanderers 2. Roy continues to produce, excuse me, Oh God, sexy football. I'm nearly being sick at the, the, the thought of Roy <laughs> Roy Hodgson's sexy football. Uh, but the football Crystal Palace are playing with the likes of Edward and Eze. Eze takes the piss for that goal he scored the way he walked in. Well, Swart, no. What's the word I'm looking for? Sashayed into the box. That's the word I'm looking for. He sashayed. The old sashay of the box, it was fantastic to see. Yeah, but uh, Wolves getting a couple of... Uh, they felt like both the goals felt like consolation goals, even though I know they weren't, but it felt like a consolation. Crystal Palace yeah. well in control, playing some nice stuff again under Roy. He was 76 and carefree. It's Yeah, it's mental, isn't he? Um, like you said, as I take the piss, he's, he's a liquid footballer. Let's keep it going. He's liquid at the football. <laughs> um the the scoreline definitely flatters Wolves because I think I had Wolves to go down this season in our preseason predictions. Um, and again, they looked very leaky. Uh, Palace were playing very good football, but Wolves were there for the taking as well. Um, but yeah, Roy, Roy Hodgson's continental football, his, his Inter Milan days are shining once again. So we go from Roy Hodgson's sexy football to the big, not sort of Premier League football match highlights or headlines of the week. We go to Jordan Henderson, who has insisted that his decision to join the Saudi Pro League uh, was not financially motivated or not solely financially motivated. He has an interview with The Athletic. Henderson has claimed that the finances involved were not a part of his decision-making process. He says people will see this club coming with lots of money and he's just gone, yeah, I'm going. When in reality, that just wasn't the case of or a case at all. People can believe me or not, but in my life and career, money has never been a motivation, ever. Don't get me wrong. When you move, the business deal has to be tight. <laughs> you have to have financials. You have to feel wanted. You have to feel valued. And money is a big part of that. But it wasn't the, uh, the sole reason. And these possibilities came up before money was even mentioned. Apparently, he was then asked, well, not even apparently, he was asked then if the room had 700 grand a week, 100 grand a day, no tax was true. And Henderson said, no, I I wish it was. No, honestly, the numbers aren't true. But again, it had it had to work out for us financially as well. I'm not saying that it, <laughs> that it didn't, and I'm not saying oh, I'm, I'm not good. I'm not on good money because it's good money, and it was a good deal. But it wasn't numbers that were reported. No. So what do you make of this load of codswallop, this load of steaming bull poo, this load of nonsense from Jordan Henderson? I mean, ooh, if his uh, if his reputation wasn't already battered from this move it's he's lost any remaining goodwill he had from Liverpool fans I mean obviously 
he, he won everything for us as captain and no one's going to take that away from him, but he's just talking crap. Yeah. Um. Someone tweeted, uh, like one of the tweets that went big after this was just, is this the only example in history where saying, yeah, I did it for the money was the better choice? Yeah. Um, well, I don't know why you wouldn't. Yeah. It's clear. You don't go from Liverpool where you've been guaranteed. I know you're not a starter anymore, but should you expect to be a starter at somewhere like the Liverpool when you're 33? Is he 33? Mm. I think he's 33. I think he's 33, He's yeah. up there. You shouldn't be expecting to be a starter at Liverpool at that age, in that position, the way that Jurgen Klopp plays football. But you've been guaranteed a place in the squad. You're going to be used more than you're not used, I imagine, You know, in terms of coming off the bench and whatnot and getting the odd start here and there. It makes no sense to go to Saudi Arabia unless you're getting paid twice and thrice as much as you were at Liverpool. Yeah, and like I said, captain. Uh, he's got murals near Anfield. Won the lot. Icon. There was even debates between fans about is he a better captain than Gerard in terms of he lifted everything. So that that's one in his tick box. But just oh yeah. As soon as this came out, yes, because it came out first thing yesterday morning, and everyone just read it and just went, oh, 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 oh what, why why have you done this interview? Because it was with the Athletic, wasn't it? And they even had the caveat at the beginning saying, um, we did this interview. We did not give. Um, anyone from the the league or Henderson's camp, uh, kind of carte blanche to edit it or take exceptions to the questions afterwards. So they've um not set him up to fail, but they've basically said there's no hiding on this one. Just here's the questions. Go ahead. Yeah, and he's made a right mess of it, but it gets worse with Jordan Henderson because he then spoke about his relationship with Jurgen Klopp and that played into his decision to leave Liverpool. He says, I've got a very good relationship with Jurgen. He was very honest with me. I won't go into detail about the conversation because it's private, but it put me in a position where I knew that I wasn't going to be playing as much. Again, would you expect to, Jordan? You're 33. I know that I knew there was going to be new players coming in at my position. And if I'm not playing, as anyone will know, especially the manager, that can be quite difficult for me and especially when I've been at a club for so long. I've captained the team for so long, especially when England's a big thing for me. You've got the Euros coming up. Again, that makes no sense because you go to a league that's at best League One level, surely. Yeah. At best. I know it's got the standout players, but if you take that as a percentage, what do you reckon, like, you know, your Cantes and your Benzema's 10% of those? You know, Maximan, yeah, Mane, and... Mares, 10% of that league's going to be the, the star players. The rest of them's going to yeah. be crap. <laughs> And like you said before about Gareth Southgate with Club England, he's going to get picked no matter what, isn't he? Well, he has been. They've, they've named the squad exactly, last week. And yeah. he's, he's still in there, even though he's retired. Our class is yeah. a retirement from Jordan Edison and anyone that goes to Saudi Arabia. Um, but yeah, him and Maguire both made the squad, which leads into that Club England thing again. Maguire getting picked. Hasn't played yeah. for a year. Excuse me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's... And again, it's he's talking about England. That's a big thing for him. But to Liverpool fans, we, it's not that we don't care. And we hate England. We just we care about our club more. Like go play for England if you want. We don't care. But your priority for us should be the team. Yeah. And even when he's been with England, he's not always been a starter. There was a large period of time where Jordan Henderson was just there in like a leadership capacity because there was a different mm. midfield being picked. I think Gareth, Gareth after the World Cup, he's been starting him more than he was before the World Cup. Um, but yeah, he, he he showed no signs of being upset about that, just being there as like a squad member. 
So again, mm-hmm. it's a bit a bit hypocritical. We continue. I've got a very good relationship with Jurgen. Uh, sorry, good relationships with Jurgen, with the owners of the club. That'll be forever. What we've achieved together in the past twelve years has been incredible. But at the same time, it was hard for me to take this sort of feeling that he wasn't going to play and wasn't wanted. If one of those people said to me, "Now we want you to stay," then we wouldn't be having this conversation. And I have to think about what's next in my career. Didn't Jordan Henderson sign a new contract fairly recently? Yeah. So. Um... I think it was Michael Edwards at the time, our sporting director, was saying to Jürgen Klopp, we're not going to give him a full deal. We'll give him a one-year extension at best because he's in his 30s. Jürgen Klopp went over them and managed to secure a four-year deal for him when he was 31. So him saying, oh, didn't feel wanted. It was like, the manager literally went to bat for you. You're talking crap. This is the one that's really annoyed the fans, saying don't don't talk such absolute arse. Yeah. It does feel like big ass. Then he continues some more. Now, that's not for me to say that they forced me out of the club or they were saying they wanted me to leave, but at no point did I feel wanted by the club or anyone to stay. Now, normally when you don't want a footballer, you put them on the transfer list. You say, hey-ho, this player's for sale. Come and get him. We're accepting offers right now. That didn't happen this summer with Jordan Henderson at Liverpool. No, no. We, we, we were kind of half expecting... Maybe some of the midfield to lose on uh, to lose on to move on because obviously Cater Chamberlain went Milner went to Brighton and we thought okay so we'll probably keep Henderson and Fabinho we were all kind of hoping that Fabinho might get played back into form with a new number six to kind of learn the ropes from him and we were thinking Henderson's going to be the new Milner so there was seemingly from the outside looking in there was no intentions to sell him. Um, and like you said, if if he would have been not wanted, he would have been listed or he would have been sent to train with the under-21s or just completely frozen out. But that was not the case at all. Load of nonsense from Jordan Henderson, which continues because obviously his move's been criticised by sort of LG BTQ plus campaigners because of what he did back in the day with the Rainbow Laces campaign. A completely hypocritical move to go to a place where you're killed for being a homosexual, for example, aren't yeah. you, Joel, uh, Jack, oh, Jack, Jack Henderson? Jack Atkins, my God. Uh, he says, my intention was never ever to hurt anyone. My intention has always been to help causes and communities. I do care about different causes that I've been involved in and different communities. I do care. And for people to criticise and say that I turned my back on them really, really hurt me. You literally did. I saw a fantastic tweet from, I think it was a, a gay Liverpool supporter who basically said, Joe Nennison, you being a Liverpool player, me being a gay man, you going there really hurt me because, you know, the religion, the culture over there is that they want to kill me because of my sexuality. Yeah. I mean, this isn't even me st- sticking up for Jordan Henderson, but both points can be true. He He can still care about the causes and he can still see himself as, you know, wanting to be an ally or whatever, but his actions do have consequences and he he's taken the money clearly over his um any affiliations to any cause or group and like we said when this transfer went first went through it it's it'd be a difficult question to be asked if you're in that position but he has still turned his regardless he has still turned his back to the lgbtq plus community even if he feels he hasn't um he can still be an ally and stuff but he has done a lot of damage. Yeah, unless he takes the Rainbow Laces campaign over there and we're seeing mm. like actual actions from Henderson in that sort of direction, I think that people are going to feel like you've turned your back because of where you've gone and what their beliefs and yeah. feelings are in their culture. Uh, he continues on to say that he's sort of apologised to 
make them feel that way, sort of like turn the back on them. Um, and he's got, he says, I've gone above and beyond to help everyone in the sort of LGBTQ plus community. I've worn the laces, I've worn the armband. I've spoken to people in that community to try and use my profile to help them. That's all I've ever tried to do. When I hear stuff like you've turned your back on us, it hurts me. I do care. I have friends and family in the LGBTQ plus community. Obviously, empty words. Your actions speak a lot louder than the words do. Yeah, again, just, like so, I was just, saying, just both say, sides... Like, just to say I've worn the armband and laces. Yeah, it's in the past yeah. now. It's all forgotten about because well, you've moved. Yeah, like you said, like I said a second ago, both sides can be true. And like you said, he he does... It is hollow unless he does wear the rainbow laces again. And in Saudi Arabia, we're not talking about on international duty or anything like that. When he did move, there was calls from some people to say well look if you are earning this reported 700 grand a week or whatever if you do still care i mean the minimum you can do is some kind of big donation whether that would have been positive pr or whatever but again in all walks of life money does talk and if you can't if you can't continue that campaign because of the culture over there then you know put your money where your mouth is kind of thing yeah, and this was the sort of line from the, the interview that he did that sort of sparked that tweet from the Liverpool fan I spoke about just a couple of minutes ago there. He says, so if I wear the rainbow armband, that disrespects their religion, then that's not right either. Everybody should be respectful of religion and culture, which then caused that Liverpool fan to say, well, their religion and culture says that people like me should be dead. That means you must feel that same way. Yeah, he, it's just a, it's, it's a PR disaster for the, the Henderson camp. Um, there was quotes as well, wasn't there, about him talking about the human rights uh, violations when with the Qatar World Cup, and he, he kind of like brought that up, didn't he? Saying, "Oh, you know, we'd we've been briefed, we'd seen the pictures, and we thought it was terrible." And then when we were over there, we met some of the workers, and they were having a lovely time. And I was just like, "Were still, they genuine workers? Died, like <laughs> people still <yeah>. died." <laughs> Exactly. And like you're saying, were the actual genuine workers? If if it's like FIFA looking for positive PR, they could have just got some any old swine in front of him and just said, look, just say you're having a good time and everything's sound. It's, he's just, yeah, he, he's tried to play the, oh, well, I've been there and don't worry about it. It's all fine card. And it's just make him look like a complete tosser. Yeah, he also said words to the effect of, like, I've come to Saudi Arabia because I want to make like football big globally all over the world, which is like, it, no, you don't. You don't want the Saudi no. Arabian League to be as big as the Premier League. You just don't. Who, who, no. as an Englishman from England who played in the English Premier League, who wants the Saudi Arabian League to be bigger than ours and taking all our best players? Why would you help that happen? Yeah. It's, it, it doesn't make sense. I mean, I, I just wish footballers would say, like, you can have aspirations to, you know, make a league big. But at the end of the day, everyone knows you've done it for the money. And players when, do say it, though, because Ruben Nevers came out and just said, yeah, my family for the next few generations is set. Of course I've took the money. Why couldn't he have just said he, That's all he should have said. And it, not yeah. that we wouldn't be sat here talking about it now. <laughs> yeah. He's uh, yeah, he's made a tit of himself, hasn't he? He has. It's a big shame. Anyway, Mo Salah, I've titled this bit of the news, is going to Saudi Arabia in the next 12 months, whether Liverpool fans like it or not, Jackins. Uh, Saudi Arabia mm. apparently is targeting Mo Salah for a move in 2024, but they obviously made the moves in the dying embers of the transfer window last week because uh, they believed it could be done this year as well. A verbal offer, whatever that means, of £150 million was rejected by Liverpool, but Al Itihad are going to go back in, and there's certain sources saying that it could be uh, they are prepared to break 
break the 200 million transfer world record for Mo Salah. There's been sort of details leaked about the contract he could sign, where he's going to be made ambassador, like an ambassadorial role for a few companies and all this sort of extra add-ons and stuff to make his life wonderful over there in Saudi Arabia. It will make him the highest paid player on the planet, surpassing Cristiano Ronaldo and Neymar, what they're enjoying at Al Nasser and wherever the Al, Al Hilal went. Is it Al Hilal? Where the hell did Neymar go? Wherever he went. The blue one. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, are you braced to... Because obviously... The way they've made their move in the last sort of week of the window, that makes me feel they're just sort of getting the word out there, getting, you know, Saudi Arabia, Mo Salah in the same, like, newspaper space, yeah. if you want, and next year is going to be when it actually happens. Because, again, when you're Mo Salah, you've won, you've won the lot in football. I think you would be a little bit silly just to turn down the... Not silly to turn down the money, because he's making a hell of a lot at Liverpool, but you could see why he would accept the money when he's achieved everything in the game. Yeah, some reports I've read and videos of watchers saying it does smell of PR from the um, pro, Saudi Pro League just to say, well, look, we, we, we've made a go for him. And if they really wanted him, why would they wait until the very end of the transfer window? Um, I am resigned to losing him at some point, whether that's January or next summer. If we did get the 200 million as well, I don't know. It's, because we saw that when we saw Coutinho, that was all reinvested. Um, would it happen this time round, considering, you know, Liverpool have money and will spend money, but arguably don't spend what we could or what we should. And if we did get over 200 million for Salah, would that all be reinvested? Um, I'm not sure. Obviously, as soon as this story came out, I think Lekeep put, oh, Mbappe would be tempted by Liverpool. And it's like, oh, here we go again. I can't be bothered with it. Um, but surely that money gets Mbappe. If you it, just, if it surely you, would, yeah. If you just it, took that whole surely, pot of money that you got for Salah and just threw it at Mbappe, surely that gets him. You'd think so, but it's it's a it's a precious ecosystem, it seems, the Liverpool wage structure. And if you're bringing in Mbappe on stupid amounts of money, you might have other people kicking off and are... Uh, I'll say shrewd owners would probably balk at that idea, but it's a weird one because... If you say just black and white, two hundred million pounds for a thirty-one-year-old player, you're like, oh, okay. But considering thirty-one's arguably the new twenty-eight, and how do you replace Mo Salah? He's already proven again as the season's kicked off that he's still really important for us. So it's a tough one. Um, again, every player has a price, and when you are seeing that two hundred and I think two hundred fifteen million, I think banded around, it does make you go. Because what you signed them for like was it thirty odd, thirty five, thirty odd million? Yeah. yeah. So that profit um, there after all he's given you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But at the same time, he's recently overtaken Robbie Fowler in the goal scoring charts, and he's he's showing no signs of slowing down. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm resigned to the fact that he will be going because obviously, for forgetting like you're saying, getting Neymar in, getting in global brand ambassador Jordan Henderson and getting Ronaldo into the leagues, that's all very well and good, but getting, you know, the most marketable Muslim athlete alive is that's surely the the jewel of the crown for this new league. You think so? Hopefully it doesn't happen, but I think it is going to happen in the next 12 months. Hmm. Oh. Another one bites the dust. I can't see it. Yeah, I can't see it not happening. Yeah, it's a shame. There we go. In more wholesome news, Sergio Ramos has returned home to uh, Sevilla, 
where he started his career back in the early months of 2004. He made 42 appearances for uh, Sevilla before moving to Real Madrid when they activated a 27 million euro release clause when he was just 19 years of age. Ramos actively rejected an offer to go to Saudi Arabia. Uh, his former Real Madrid teammate, Karim Benzema, has obviously gone over there and wanted to join him at Al Ittihad, but Ramos said no to go back home. And I think I saw somewhere that he was earning so many million pounds at Paris Saint-Germain last season, or the season whenever he was there, and he's mm-hmm. earning one million this season compared to several million last season. So he's, yeah. I know it's still a million, but he's taken a big pay cut, and he had the offer on the it's table like, as well. I think it's like 20 grand a week, isn't it? Yeah. Something like that. And someone said online, it was like, if you were to tell me that um, with Saudi Arabia looming, that Jordan Henderson and Sergio Ramos would be making moves in this window and Jordan Henderson would be the baddie and Sergio Ramos the good guy. <laughs> but this is this is great to see. Um I like things like this. I like yeah. players return to their home teams at the end of their career and being like, do you know what? Let's let's get a few more people on the ground. Let's sell some shirts. Let's let's have a good time and just have a bit of fun. Um he's still gonna probably be a horrible little bastard, but what a player. Oh, I'm a big fan of Sergio Ramos. There's not enough people like him in football today. <laughs> Just, just knobheads. The dark art of central defending is a lost art in football, and him keeping it alive at the very top level has been one of my highlights of watching more European-based football over the past ten years. It's he's, I think he's fantastic. Yeah, apart from the Champions League final loss that Liverpool <laughs> suffered against them, but handsome bastard as well. He's got it all. Hate him. What was it he did to uh, Salah again? Was it the 18 one where he injured him? Yeah, where he basically. Grabbed his arm, twisted it around, and just drove him into the yes. floor. And just like, yep. Textbook wrestling there from Sergio Ramos. You love to see it, unless it's against your own team. Uh, Jaden Sancho, yeah. we've got to mention this big thing happened. He's been, well, he says he's been made a scapegoat by Manchester United manager Eric Ten Hag after Ten Hag revealed following the defeat at Arsenal that he was left out of the squad for poor performances in training. Uh, Ten Hag said, uh, uh, Jaden on his performance and training was not selected you have to reach a level at Manchester United every day and we can make choices in that front line so for this game he was not selected Sancho then responded to this with a social media post which read please don't believe everything you read I will not allow people saying things that is completely untrue excuse me I have conducted myself in a very uh, in training very well this week I believe there are other reasons for this matter I won't go into I've been a scapegoat for a long time which isn't fair all I want to do is play football with a smile on my face and contribute to the team I respect I respect all decisions that are made by the coaching staff I play with fantastic players and I'm grateful to do so which I know every week is a challenge I will continue to fight for this badge no matter what it's a very interesting one because I, I, I did see the clip that someone released on social media this week, which it could have been from two years ago. I don't know when it was actually from, but they're doing the press ups, and I think it's Casemiro in the foreground is giving it the good. Or Bruno Fernandez, I think it is. He's giving it, you know, proper solid press ups, and Sancho sort of in the background giving it ones where you don't really bend your arm fully. And it was like, oh, that yeah. looks damning. But again, you don't know when that bit of uh, footage is from. It's it's a weird one. I, uh, if Eric Ten Hag I know it's the heat of the battle you know just after the match has ended you've been spanked in stoppage time you're not feeling very happy to throw a player under the bus like that in public feels a bit wrong and for Sancho yeah. to then go back at him that feels like yeah, fair play you know the manager's made it public it's, it's that saying is it keep things in the dressing room why that couldn't have been kept in the dressing room I don't know because it feels like with the fact he has made it public I agree with Sancho saying yeah you have been made a scapegoat yeah, especially after everything we saw of um, that Deli Alley interview saying about, you know, how words can really hurt um, and certain narratives get out. I mean, it is fair to say he is underperformed yeah. at United. 
Um, has he been made a scapegoat? Again, like you said, the, the, the footage that's been making the rounds is only one perspective. We don't really get to see inside training all this much. Um, obviously, Ten Hag is a very firm manager, and if he doesn't like players, he just doesn't like them. But at the same time, I can't remember who wrote an article. There was an article I saw this week. I, can't, I think it was in The Guardian saying that Man United are just a mess and no one's really taking responsibility for it. Obviously, there's everything with um, outside of football that's happened with Anthony this week. There was obviously um, the stuff we went over the other week with... Um, Greenwood. Yeah, Greenwood and his move and all that. It's It, it just seems to be a mess in all different sorts of ways. Um, yeah, it's... I don't know. I don't know what is going on at United. I don't know if they need... If Ten Hag's trying to, you know, like you're saying, put down some tough love and some discipline and it's not working because it's been too lax for too long there, or... I don't know. It's... But it is just... It's it's bollocks at the moment, United, isn't it? It is bollocks because, it, again, it happened in training and if Ten Hag doesn't say that in public, then nobody knows about it as far as I'm concerned. But again, if yeah. he's unhappy with his performance in training and that's why he's not being selected and he's been asked directly about Sancho, then again, maybe he is right to say that. So maybe it might boot, you know, give the player a boot up the arse. I'm on the opinion that if it happened in training, keep it in the dressing room because nobody knows about yeah. it then, do they? If it's on the pitch and he's done something, then you can't avoid it, can you? But he could have avoided this one because it's all been thrown out of proportion now, which is another headache for him that I'm, I'm sure he didn't want. Yeah, exactly. Um, has, has Sancho made the England squad? No, he hasn't played for no. years. <laughs> well, you never know if, if Henderson and Maguire are still getting called off. You never know with Southgate. But um, I don't know if then if this international break will be crucial for him then. Whether you said if this does give him a boot up the arse and he goes, well, I'll show him yeah. in training or if the, the reverse could happen there where he's just like, what's the point? Uh, according to Wikipedia, which is the best source of information on the internet because anyone gets to edit it, Sancho hasn't played a game for England since 2021. Wow, okay. Yeah. Five appearances he made for England in 2021. 23 caps overall, three goals. Yeah, but that's yeah surprising. Well, surprising and not surprising that he hasn't played for that long. He's not been good for my United though, has he? But then again, it's this stuff like this won't help, will it? You, you want it to turn it round. This isn't going to help at all, is it? Yeah, and it's like we were saying before with um, you're saying during the Arsenal match, seeing a bit more kind of aggro, a bit more not the kind of Bruno Fernandes style of aggro, but the Casemiro style of aggro. <laughs> and when you think of the United teams of old, where obviously Ferguson didn't take any crap, but neither did Roy Keane, neither did Ryan Giggs, neither did Yapstam or anyone in that um, locker room. It, it feels like they do need I don't know. I'm not going to say like an enforcer, like, you know, like the Undertaker in the WWE to say, right, shut up, do your job. They've or you got get Johnny Evans now. That's the exact guy they've brought him in. For surely he is he is the locker room leader. Yeah. He is the uh, conscience of Manchester United. Is it working though? Oh, I no. don't know. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> we'll have to see what happens in the coming days and weeks between those two there. No doubt there'll be more said publicly about it because they can't not now, can they? They've made it that big of an yeah. issue. Uh, also this week, we had the European draws. We had the Champions League draw Newcastle in the group of death with Paris Saint-Germain, Dortmund, AC Milan. Uh, bring it on. You want to be in the competition to play those teams. No Newcastle fans expecting to win the Champions League. We're there for the ride this season. So let's have a, let's have a bumpy one. I'm looking forward to it. 
Well, it's one of those, isn't it? Yeah, because like you said, if you've got no expectations, then just enjoy the away days. Um, I know you, you told me yourself, you're going, maybe not to the game, but you're going to Dortmund, aren't you? So. Yeah, going to Dortmund just to just to breathe in the atmosphere, soak it in, drink it yeah. in, all those all those cliches. Um, but I, I think I think we can uh, the best we can hope for, I think, is to qualify for the Europa League. I think we I think we can finish above Milan, which feels weird to say considering they got to the semi-finals last season. But I'm looking at what the signings they made this summer. Loftus-Cheek, I know, is tearing up trees in, in Serie A, but I think that's a, a damning sort of assessment on Serie A rather than that is on, yeah. like being a good thing for Ruben Loftus-Cheek. But it is nice to see uh, him finally like nail down a position in the team and do good things. I think we can finish above Milan. I think we'll be struggling the other two. But I think you, Milan... You, nev- we can you, do never, you never know with PSG, though. You never know which one's going to turn up. Just I'm, I'm like, imagining... Just the commentator going, and now Mbappe runs towards Dummett. <laughs> I'm waiting for that because we're going to get an injury crisis back there because we didn't strengthen enough in the summer. We, we spent £70 million on two reserve fullbacks, for goodness sake. I don't know what we're really doing this summer, but there we go. Um, I'm just picturing a sort of defensive crisis towards the end of the group and killing Mbappe. Take advantage of that. <laughs> yeah. Even like Rafael Liao running a damn burn, I'm not looking forward to him. But I reckon we can do Milan. Maybe even Dortmund as well. Like, I've not really kept tabs on Dortmund for a little while. Who have Dortmund got in their squad? Dortmund's squad. I'm still Marco thinking Marco Royce. Still, yeah, he's probably still there. I'm still thank, uh, thinking back to the days of like Nuri Sahin. <laughs> yeah, who I sold a pair of headphones to once. Uh. <laughs> Uh, so the keepers, there's no uh, right. So they've got Hummels. I'm just looking at the mm. the really like obvious names. Sewell How old still... Hummels now though? Is he like 35, 36? Ah, doesn't don't think that matters. The way he plays the game, fantastic player. Yeah, yeah, I love him. Uh, they've got Sewell there or Sule, however you say the name. Uh, they've got Rayner, the midfielder, Nemecha, the midfielder, not the striker version. Uh, Julian Brandt. It always feels like he's one of those players who's there and thereabouts. Sabitzer, he's there this season. Yeah. Uh, up front they've got Haller. Oof. I say oof, but he was crap in the Premier League, wasn't he? But he seems to be a different kettle of fish in the European game. Adiemi, good player. Diego, oh, sorry, not Diego. Uh, Daniel Malin, good player on FIFA. I know that much, but I don't know what he's like in real life. <laughs> and that's, right. you know, we could take Dortmund, we're going to finish second in the group, right? Behind Paris Saint-Germain, that's what's going to happen. I don't think we will do. But I think we can get into the Europa League where, I guess, the other headline from the Champions League draw is Harry Kane is going to be playing against Manchester United after his name was flirted with them for so long. Hopefully he scores a hat-trick in both games against them, or a hat-full of goals against them, I should say. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it, I'm just picturing that um, the scene in Point Break that was obviously mimicked in Hot Fuzz where Keanu Reeves is you know, aiming down his gun at um, Patrick Swayze and he can't do it and just ah, fires into the air in frustration. That'll be that'll be that'll be Harry Kane marauding <laughs> down. He's got Johnny Evans in his sights and he just can't do it. <laughs> in the Europa League, Liverpool have been drawn with a couple of teams. Are, well, I've heard of Lask. I've never heard of Union. I don't know if I'm going to say this right. Union Saint Gilois. Gilois, Belgian. Belgian. I've think? never heard of them. Have you? Um, I think I have only for doing research for this podcast. <laughs> Tell me some things then, research boy. Uh, so the called Union, uh, San Gilwaz, they're commonly referred to as Union. Uh, they've been drawn in Group E of the Europa League draw. <laughs> uh, they will play Lask, uh, Liverpool and Toulouse. Is that all you know? That's a, I'm sure one of the Wunderkind segments we've had had a player who 
ended up for them. I, I want to say maybe Bojan was there for a bit, maybe. Oh, really? Let's have a look at their current squad and see if there's any recognisable names. Okay. Uh, Wikipedia. Royal Union at St. Gilois. Where's their squad? Current squad. Let's see. Kevin McAllister. That was one. Not from Home Alone. Ah, but Alexis's yeah. brother. He's in the squad. They've got a couple of Englishmen. Matthew Sorinola and Christian Burgess. Who did they used to play for? Let's have a look before they went over there. Um, Wigan. In terms of other recognisable names, I am struggling with their team. <laughs> the manager is, or the head coach, sorry, is called Alexander Blessing. So that's a nice name. Um, yep, I don't know. So, sorry, what's he called? Sorry, Nola. Started at MK Dons. Made 34 appearances for them before moving over. He had a loan at Beaconsfield Town as well. And Swansea City on loan last season. Oh, yeah, last season alone at Swansea. So 29 appearances for them. So yeah, yeah nice. sort of Christian Burgess. He was at Middlesbrough. Hep the better. And he was at Peterborough the United, better. then Portsmouth. And then he went from them to Union SG. So yeah, sort of, it's a cha- mem- championship level team. I remember why we were talking about them. I think it was one of my highlights of the week, actually, uh, at the end of the league last season where they were in third on the final day and all the top ah. three teams were I think Toby it was one of them. The yes. Yeah. He's and they were involved team. with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we're, we're getting on. We, we don't have time to watch, you know, all these leagues anymore. We barely have time to watch the teams we support because we're tired old men and we've got to get tattoos and eat meat and sleep. Watch wrestling. <laughs> uh, then we have Group yeah. A, West Ham have been drawn with Olympiakos, Freiburg and Baka Topola. Who sounds like a footballer, not a football team? But there we go; it's a fantastic name. And also mm. in Group B, uh, I guess this is the group of death in the in the Europa League. You got Ajax, you got Marseille, you got AEK Athens, and you got Brighton. So a tough one for them. But like we said, uh, if they can continue their league form over to it, I think they'll be fine. They will. They'll be absolutely fine. Obviously, in the past week as well, as we like to do on the podcast, we look at the week back. In the footballs, we had the deadline day pass in the English transfer league. Obviously, the Saudi Arabian deadline has still got a couple of weeks left to run, which is why they're making moves for Salah when they're doing. We'll ask the question, Jack Atkins, what have been your standout transfers of the summer transfer window? Uh, James Ward-Prowse has been a hell of a signing. Uh, talking for Liverpool, at least, Sobberslides look really good. Obviously, we did pay quite high for him. Um, 60 million. Because I put down in my notes, 60 million for him looks like a good deal by the, sa- the does. standards of the day. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I'm, my my mind's still stuck in 2008 where 60 million. It's like, whew, that's a, that's a tasty slice that's of uh, money. That's Zidane but... money. <laughs> they, they've been the two that have looked really good to me so far. Um Obviously, he's gone off injured, but Arsenal getting the defender whose name obviously escapes Timber. me. Yes, I thought he looked mint until he went off injured. Um, but if he can come back and be the player that he was looking, I think that could, in the long run, be a really good deal. But obviously, if he's gone off injured, we can't say it's good at this time. But that was one that when it happened, I went, ooh, okay, that's a, that's a good bit of business. What about yourself? I know it was 105 million, whatever it was, but Bellingham to Madrid, the way he started there, has been unbelievable. I think he's got more goals than he has games so far, um, which yeah. is unreal for a midfielder, remember. Uh, James Madison, yeah. uh, I was saying, like, another name that was heavily linked with Newcastle, I was like, maybe doesn't quite fit 
into how we play with like the four three three, but he certainly fits into what Spurs are doing. I guess they've been playing four three three as well, haven't they? He's been just been floating about, hasn't he? Yeah. Picking the ball up yeah. deep and, and, and kicking on. Uh Sabbath Sly again for sixty million looks like a bit of a steal for that kind of money. James Ward Prowse, as you mentioned there, for thirty is a very good deal. Villa getting Diaby, I think will come good. Like he was good on the opening day of the season, but he's dropped off a little bit, yeah. I guess as the team have as well. But I think that'll be a one to watch out for as well. One that piqued my interest was Callum Hudson Adoy, who at Chelsea, flattered to deceive. He was obviously had big hopes put on his, on his shoulders. You know, one of those prestigious English talents who should kick on and be one of the greats of the game, but didn't quite do that. Nottingham Forest got him. It was either three million with two million of add-ons or two million with three million of add-ons. It was five million all in, and I think that that's for him, sort of all. yeah, for him, I think that's a good deal. That. Oh, excuse that's me. nothing, yeah. That's really good. <laughs> and obviously um, the other one as well, uh, Antu Fatty going to Brighton on loan. I think that's 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 the highlights of the window over here, at least. That was that reminds me of something I was meant to ask you before. How come Harvey Barnes hasn't been starting for Newcastle so far? Because Almiron is there. Yeah, that is it. And we've been playing Isaac through the middle. In my opinion, it should be Barnes. I know Barnes plays on the left, but we've got Isaac as well who can play on the left. I think Callum Wilson has to start now. As, as much mm. as he can do through the middle with Isaac or Barnes off one side and then Almiron on the other side. Um, but yeah, it's, it's I don't know, to be honest with you. He's a lot more clinical than whoever's been up there, Anthony Gordon and, and Almiron. But then again, yeah. maybe Anthony Gordon runs a bit more than Harvey Barnes. I, I don't honestly don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's the only thing I put it down to is running. Maybe Gordon runs a bit more than Barnes. Oh, he has been getting about the. He's been getting about the pitch. That's uh, that's for sure, Ross. That's no for doubt sure. about that. But yeah, there we have the the, <laughs> the the transfer window coming to a close last week. It's still going to rumble on. I think there's still uh, deals being made. There's a free agent eleven. I think we should do a little video on Joe Atkins if you want to do that, where where we look at yeah. the, the best free agent eleven that's still out there. Is the the transfer window closes around the world, but not Saudi Arabia. Mm. The highlight of the week segment is where we look at the past seven days of football, whether it be on Twitter or other th- things like real life, and we pick our highlight. Joe Atkins, I'll let you go first this week what's your highlight of the last seven days well just like the way that my um twat of the week is you know th- there's always an established twat of the week but i have to pick another one uh my new highlight of the of the week or the fortnight because it's been two weeks since we recorded is uh and it's going to be my highlight every week is jason tindall looking like a twat but <laughs> you've been hoodwinked by that picture by the way someone photoshopped it i know uh, yeah with the little arm <laughs> but still I can't stand the man. I don't know. I don't know why Eddie. Why though? He's, just, he's just an assistant manager. But he's giving it the big I am. He's got Pardew energy, and he's not even as good as Pardew. <laughs> he's just got Newcastle the fourth. What, Jason Tindall? Him and Howe are a tandem. It's not like Eddie Howe's the head coach and Jason Tindall's just your, you know, your start, your bog standard assistant. They are a duo. They do everything mm. together. They're always side by side, or maybe Tindall just a bit in front. But he's a handsome yeah. man as well. I'd flaunt that if I had it. He's he's just he is as Lewis House would say. He's box office Barclays, but I just think he's a tit. But my real <laughs> highlight of the week, um, there was a video that did the rounds. I saw it on Football Away Days on Twitter of a load of Hibs fans in Popwell, Birmingham, um, ahead of their match with Villa last week, and they were singing their hearts out to Sunshine on Leith before that. That was it. Second leg conference tie against Villa, and it was just wonderful. Um, Especially Sunshine when they, they lost the first one five nil, was it? <laughs> yeah, and they don't care. You get, get them in pop world. Oh, get on a bit of the proclaimers. You'll you'll fill that dance floor. But it's it's a beautiful song. It's um it's often you know voted for by the kind of people who you know listen to six music and read Monday Al as the um 
the best terrace anthem of all time. And the, the, obviously there's videos of them singing it. I think it's Hibs when they defeated, was it Hearts in the Scottish Cup? And there's a really good video of them just giving it the bifters. But it's one of those that every time I see a video of Hibs fans singing Sunshine and Leith, I'll, I'll click it and watch it. And this was another good one. Fair enough, especially when they lost the first leg 5 0. I saw the, the stat where it was like all the Scottish teams in sort of European qualification rounds against like whoever they played against, and the aggregate score was not healthy because uh, Rangers got spunked on by PSV as well, didn't they, in the, in the second leg? Which yeah. Is a bit of a shame to see, but there we go. My highlight of the week is something I saw on Twitter this week. I thought it happened this week, but it turns out it actually happened on August the 19th, 2020. It's from a youth league game between RB Salzburg and Lyon where Florent De Silva is a player who's playing for Lyon and he's taking penalties. And Salzburg keeper Daniel Antosh, he's tried to save the penalties. But for the first two penalties, he comes off his line and he dives to his right and he saves it, but the referee brings it back because he's done a Jersey do deck and he's come off his line before saving the penalty. So the third penalty's lined up. Um, Antosh sort of takes a step behind his line to make sure he doesn't come too far ahead. Uh, De Silva goes the other way, so diving to Antosh's left and he saves it again. And it was wonderful to see three successive penalties <laughs> all saved and the third one going in a different direction. Beautiful, especially because I've uh, made no secret of the fact I don't like that rule for goalkeepers um, because I put them at a disadvantage. Why shouldn't they be allowed to come off the line? As long as they're not running up and slide tackling the, the penalty taker before they even hit the ball. Who's asked? But the further forward they come, the smaller the goal gets, the easier it is for the goalkeeper. Yeah, but if they're not allowed off the line, then the easier it is for the penalty taker. Yeah, goals, that's what you want in games, isn't it? <laughs> not if you're on the receiving end of a penalty, you don't, no. <laughs> but as the neutral, you want more goals in games, don't you? Surely, Jack, surely. But you say, we were saying about that, you know, the glory days of the, the Maverick goalkeeper, they're not letting them be Mavericks anymore, Ross. <laughs> and rightfully so, probably, on balance, when you come to think about it, because what Dudek mm. did in that final was a crime. We move on to the twat of the week before he can retort to that point I've just made. I've got to go for, um, well, I think Henderson would have been a bit of a, an easy one to take this week, but he's been mm. a bit of a planned plot in the media. But I'm going to go for the Getafe social media team. They've created an English-speaking Twitter because Mason Greenwood has arrived at the club on loan from Manchester United. Manchester United on sacking Greenwood. They're just going to send him out on loan for a year and hope it all blows over while they go down for a pint in the Winchester, whatever that line is from Shaun of the Dead. Um, I think there was a phrase in Mean Girls where it's like, stop trying to make fetch happen. I think I've got that right. Um, and they're trying, yeah, to make, they're trying to make Greenwood happen like he's the second coming of the patron saint of football, Gary Lineker. Um, but it's not. It's horrible to watch. Um, the treatment he's getting is... it's. Tone deaf. I don't know what other words to use there, but it's just, it's not right. And the fact they're so relentless with it, it's disgusting. Yeah, obviously we we talked about this at great length the other week, but Man U not releasing him is, it's a move that, like you said, them clearly waiting for it to all blow over. It's it's damning for them. It's like, just, just get rid of him. Move on. Um, and then, like you said, and not the fact that Getafe signing him, whatever, but the fact that, like you said, they're trying to be like, oh, look at the, we've got him. Like, don't worry, all you fans, here we are with an English feed. No. Look at what a great the... human being he is signing these shirts for these children. Like, all that sort of PR bollocks they're putting out there. Everyone knows what happened. They're not going to forget about it. Just stop trying. Yeah, exactly. Um, a gaff, as you say, a social media gaff, definitely. It is a gaff. Who is your twat of the week? 
well there's so many to choose from um obviously bernardo silva um but i didn't want to talk about the refs again because we've only recently made them top of the week i didn't want to make that um arsehole in the spanish football federation again because it goes without saying didn't want to say jordan henderson because we've gone over that at length didn't want to say mason greenwood because we've gone over that at length so <laughs> Uh, this has happened in the last fortnight rather than the last week. Chelsea, not the team, not the fans, the owners and the business side of things. Um, because they've spent, what, since Todd Bowley's taken over, over £1 billion on players. But recently uh, announced that they've withdrawn their full coach subsidy for domestic away travel, stating it was not financially sustainable to maintain a subsidy of just £10 per supporter, with the total subsidy budget allegedly 250000 a season. Which when you spend yeah, a season. Which yeah. when you spend a billion on players on eight year deals, it's nothing. Um they can just piss off. It was Barney Ronay, I think it was, in The Guardian, put did a really good article saying that you know, it's it's another one of the, the pitfalls of modern football where legacy fans as the scene are seen as a hindrance because they're not going the club shop, they're not paying for the full match day experience, they're not you know, spending all the money on merchandise. So they're just like, oh, who really cares? But they're the reason, they're part of the reason why you are who you are, if you know what I mean. They're the lifeblood. Again, another cliche, but football without fans is nothing. And especially when they've floated so much cast to just slap the fans in the face. It's horrible. It's not nice to see. Amen. I hate the term legacy fan. I think mm-hmm. that we both fall into that bracket now, don't we, being over 30? Yeah, especially as me who can't often get a ticket and when he does, only spends his money on the ticket and makes sure to hit like the pie shops and stuff around the ground. They must hate me. <laughs> but there's plenty of legacy fans as well who will spunk hundreds of pounds a season on season tickets. So that that yeah. should count for something at least. But yeah, it's in the grand scheme of things, taking away that small pocket change, you know, in, in terms of a billion pounds spend. It's nonsense. Yeah. We move on to the Roberto Mailbagio, Ross at HoldandGive.com. Thank you for those who uh, answered my worried call this morning because I looked at the mailbag and over the last two weeks we had no submissions at all. So don't be shy. Your question will get answered. We went from a very busy mailbag to absolutely nothing over the past couple of weeks. What have we done wrong? <laughs> anyway, we say we start with, hey, Ross, do you think West Ham has spent the rice money well or no? Thank you from Frank from Brisbane, Australia. And in a word, yes. I've got the transfer deals that are done here. Mohamed Kudus, who hasn't really... Well, I think he came on for a little cameo, didn't he, the other day? Uh, for 43 yeah. million euros, this is in. Uh, he's got a big reputation, but remains to be seen whether he'll do good. Alvarez has started very well as the holder midfield arsehole in you know, doing the ugly side of the, of the game. For 38 million euros, he's been a good signing. JWP, with wax lyrical about him. I, I remember saying a few weeks ago that I didn't think he was like at that top level where he takes... Like, Michael Carrick never used to take the game by the bollocks. He was always just, you know, their Lincoln player. But he's certainly been effective for the way West Ham are going about their business this season with the set-piece assists he's already got. And I guess you could throw in there Mavropanos, who used to be at Arsenal. Don't know what he's like these days. So, at least with those three midfielders, I think they've done very good business. What about you? Yeah, definitely. Uh, like we said, loads. James Ward-Prowse has been a no-brainer and he settled well. For Kudus... Uh, he's another good sign and even though he's not really played much we were linked for a while I presume Chelsea, Arsenal everyone doing a midfield rebuild was uh, Ajax boss Maurice Stein has admitted that they'll miss him so it, it, it seems like West Ham have played a blinder and like you were saying about Alvarez getting two players from Ajax 
it doesn't matter if Ajax aren't quite the force that they were, say, in the 90s or whatever, but it's that seal and mark of quality that playing for Ajax, it's it's worth its weight in gold. And if they can get two of their midfield and re-bolster it with them, and also the fact that players from the Dutch league usually settle well in the Prem, as much as the season will go on, I think they, they could they could be an absolute blinder. Way I up the hammers. Mm. Hello, love the content, guys. Jack needs to needs more podcast. Always a must listen. Hello. Ugh. That's Clive F to you, not Jack. Uh, with the trend of podcast, fo- <laughs> <laughs> with the trend of posting football food online, what is your best and worst food you've had at, fo- at a football game? And that comes from Scott. Obviously, a few weeks ago we spoke about the best pie in football, but mm. in terms of the best sort of like holistic everything, every type of food thrown in. I remember at my previous employer, they had a box at St James's Park, and they would invite me to that box a couple of times a season. And when you go there, you get a five course meal. And the last five-course meal I had in that box, the main was ox's cheek. And I've never had ox's cheek since or before. And let me tell you, it was unbelievable. You walk in, beer is on the table waiting for you. Fantastic start to begin with if you enjoy a pint. Then you get, I'm trying to remember what the starter is now. The starter, oh God, I can't remember. What the hell was the starter? No, I can't remember. The starter's the starter. Whatever the starter was, it was always the same every time. It was great. <laughs> then the main would arrive. The last one I had was Ox's Cheek. Half-time, cheese board. Je ne sais quoi. va va <laughs> Three or four or five different types of cheeses. Crackers included. Fantastic. Full-time, pie. A pie to go home with. As if you're hungry after eating what you ate like an hour ago. You get a full-on pie to take home. It is fantastic. That is the every time I would go in that box, I'd be licking my lips. Not just because of the sexy football on show from Steve McLaren and Rafa Benitez, <laughs> but also because <laughs> of the meals. What a time it was! What about your not just the pie, but any sort of football food experience at the game? I didn't realize you were a fully paid up member of the Prawn Sandwich Brigade. Ross. <laughs> I knew you'd had box access. Not when I was paying for it. When it was for free, lap it all up. <laughs> I'd forget where I came from in the in a in a heartbeat. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm, I'm usually just a, a simple creature. If I've not eaten in the day, just a, a quick pie from nearby. Um, my mind was blown when I first went to an MLS game over in t- Toronto, seeing people getting like a chicken parmigiano delivered to their seat and stuff and being like, bloody hell. Um, and I was quite poor at the time, so I didn't get any food, but I like I ate with my eyes and then got some poutine <laughs> on the way home. Um, in terms of worse food, though, I don't know, it's scran, scran. If you're hungry, you'll eat anything. I remember going to Goodison as a kid and being wigged out because I got a big hot dog with like black burnt fried onions on it. Yeah. Which were nice, but were weird. Um, And I've been to, you know, not for a couple of years, but I've had some questionable burgers at Prenton Park before where it's one of those where you're looking at it thinking, I am going to regret this, but at the same time, I've never seen anything more beautiful than all my days at this current moment. <laughs> I'm a weird um, one when it and- comes to worse because I, I don't really eat when I go to the match. I always try and get my meal in before, like, if, you know, go to a, you know, get a pizza from somewhere. Yeah. I would have a burger somewhere nice in the town before going up to the ground. But I remember last year, I guess it counts because it was at the Millennium Stadium, the Principality Stadium last year when the wrestling was there. We paid £8 for this long hot dog with nothing on. It was just the bone hot dog no sauce available eight pound the driest Ooh. thing i have ever eaten in my life and it was awful 
I tell you what weren't dry though. The delicious um popcorn and cherry brownies that were served in the Wembley Stadium press box. Hang on. <laughs> popcorn and cherry brownies. Brownies with bits of popcorn and cherries on the top, and there was loads of cookies. And I just got as much as I could and ran with it. I was just like, oh, thinking I was going to get stopped. I wasn't. I could have gotten more, but um, happy filling the bag. Really nice cookies. Stuff, like. Yeah, I, I did feel like it, but I thought I, I don't want to, you know, perpetuate outdated stereotypes. Um, yeah, you've so. got the look of the draw there. I remember when I went down to London for the uh, the WWE show at the start of July? There wasn't even a press box. It was just in with the punters. No free meals or yeah. anything. I don't know which one to pick next year. Anyway, we move on to a question from Mike Old Mac 1986 on the Instagram. Do you think the Saudi transfer window should close at the same time as Europe? Um, obviously, I'm going to say yes with everything that's happened this week with Salah. Um, whether it will, I'm not sure. I, I did think about this, and at first I thought, oh, perhaps maybe then there's something about saying that after the European window closes and the Saudi one remains open, no one can move in that window, but they can put deals together for January or the following summer. But I thought that would be terrible because that would also cause further disruption. And if someone's already signed, then they may not play, etc. So no, close it at the same time if you can. Yeah, this bleeds into the whole like blanket rules for, you know, European clubs have one set of financial fair play rules to follow. Saudi clubs don't have the same rules to follow. Everything regarding transfers, the window opening time, closing time, the financial fair play restrictions, it should be a blanket thing for every single club in the world. Just so there's no messing about. Try it's 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 an impossible thing to achieve, but I have a dream. <laughs> <laughs> I have a dream that all football teams should abide by the same financial fair play rules, which means, you know, the Saudis can't take the piss like they have been doing. But yeah, every window in every bigger league in the world should close at the same time. Yeah, it would make things a lot easier. um, And it all should be before the start of the season. The season should not start with the window still open. It all should be done and dusted five days before. Who do you think? Yes. I, I, I... I don't mind it just in case, you know, your player breaks a leg on the first game of the season, stuff like that. Um, but then I suppose that's what emergency loans are for, isn't it? But And journalists, right? Journalists should not be have like should not be privy to information about transfers. I I saw a tweet that was like, Oh, it should be like the NFL where there's a big event at, just before the start of the season where every Premier League team or whatever presents their their summer signings all at one go. I think that'd be an amazing occasion. Not knowing who you've signed, then saying, "Oh, God, there's Sabasly. We've got him." Imagine what a fun day that would be. <laughs> oh yeah, handsome get. Yeah, but imagine being an Everton fan and be like, "Who've you got?" It's like, <laughs> "Oh, we've got, we've got Beto, but um, we've also got this lovely six pack of Pringles and Ashley Young." <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I forgot about Ashley Young. I but that would be part of the fun, wouldn't it? Just like, what on earth are you? T-? Imagine having like fans in the in the building as well, just chanting like you or oh, whatever the chant of football players that aren't very you know good transfer deals. Oh, you can't, it's, not swear, that, it's not a swear. What a waste just, of money! I was trying to think it's got a swear word in, but it doesn't. What a waste of money! It would descend into chaos. Exactly, it'd be fantastic. What a, a, a twenty-team brawl! Yes, <laughs> as, as a terrified nineteen-year-old from the Italian league stands there, going, "Oh my God, what have I done?" Basically, what you should do is get squash courts, twenty squash courts, and put them in a big room, and then put the fans from each club in the in the squash courts. So you've got the Arsenal squash court; they can't get out. You know, the Bournemouth, Brighton, all the teams—they all have their own squash courts, and that's how you keep the trouble to a minimum while the noise is at a maximum. 
that, I mean, it's a recipe for disaster, but it would it would be a spectacle. It'd be like a car crash. Oh no! You just let out, you let them out one by one. The next squash court can't open till the, the the squash court before has left the building. It all makes sense to me. This is why I have a dream, another dream. I've got a second dream for this transfer <laughs> unveiling ceremony thing to be a reality in football. But there we go. That was the Roberto Mail Baggio Ross at holdandgive.com. Please send them in. We had nothing to go off when I woke up this morning. So thank you to the three lads who got in contact there for saving our bacon. Right, that's it. Big question was answered earlier on about Jordan Henderson. We'll make that the big question this week. It feels like the most pertinent thing it. to talk about. So that was it for episode whatever it is of the Holden Gift Football Podcast. I've stopped keeping count. <laughs> I think 14. It's four, 14. Yeah, episode 14. My God, this is getting old already. Uh, I've been Ross Twan <laughs> from Holden Gift, joined by Jack Atkins. We'll, we'll try and get that free Agent 11 video done this week if you want. Yeah, we'll 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 sort some for now because we'll obviously in the um, in our other job, someone decides to have a fight backstage and has made more work than needed for us, yeah, hasn't he? Someone else who we work with decided to have the week off, so my workload's been twice as big as it would normally be. So cheers, <laughs> Jack King. Right, that's it. Morning over, podcast over. Thank you very much. I've been Ross, joined by the Clive F E Y. Bye bye. I am shagged. <laughs> <laughs>